Hello, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. Today, my guest is Jack Pendergrath. We did an episode uh, all about Maximus. And if you haven't seen that one, I highly recommend you go watch that one because that'll give you kind of the full context. And I knew almost nothing about this company and apparently it cr- controls almost everything. So I, I think there are a lot of people out there who are probably like me and didn't know much about it at all. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit uh, disheartening to find out just how much control they have. But today we're going to focus specifically on the ties to... Uh, Tavistock and MK Ultra, and of course, I have this theory that you know M- that Tavistock laid the groundwork for MK Ultra to be, and uh, that is just a theory. But I, I do think, based on a lot of the experiments that were done and the research that was done at Tavistock, that it would not have been possible for the MK Ultra experiments to have been conducted without so much of that groundwork having been done. And now I am learning from Jack that there seems to be a Maximus connection, and that would mean that it's gone uh, privatized. And of course, you know, it's the private arm, private-public partnership type situation that we're seeing so often today. So without further ado, I will bring Jack on. How are you doing tonight? Um, doing well, Courtney. Just trying to stay dry. It, I mean, it's it's pouring down over here. I don't I don't know about. Yeah, no, there, it's but... it's been it's been a pretty gross day here. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so, trying to stay dry and just research, you know, researching whatnot. Yeah, you've so. been doing great research. So for those who may not have seen the last one that we did, maybe you could give a brief overview of. You know, how you personally came to know of Maximus Inc. and came to this research, maybe share a little bit of your personal journey there. And, uh, of course, uh, tell us, give us a little brief rundown and overview of what is Maximus Inc. Okay, so I was, uh, I'll say it, I like traumatically introduced to Maximus through the family court system, right? So um through the child through child support and eventually through um through parental parental alienation and and, um a nasty custody dispute with my daughter's mother you know um parental rights are stripped but before that um going back to the child support you know i was like okay so where does child support come from how did it arrive and how did we get here? You know, why, why are these things the way they are? So I got to looking at, you know, reading through filings and mail and came across just a, just a simple letterhead change, um, from, you know, Tennessee, I think it was health and human services to Maximus health and human services or something to that effect. Just a simple letterhead change on the mail is what, brought maximus to my attention so from there is you know that was in um gosh 2013 2012 2013 uh my parental rights were stripped in 2013 so um and in an attempt to understand you know what child support was um well you can see on your screen there that's that's you know um so one thing led to another, you know, I started with child support and then I went to the family courts and then, you know, eventually some of the other areas I've been researching, 
um, seem to culminate in, you know, in a nexus of uh, the people who founded Maximus and their origins uh, being the, the military industrial complex. Um, so here we are, you know, um, and if nobody's aware, like, you know, a lot of these family quote unquote laws, policies, procedures, public private partnerships, uh, privatization, these are all products of the, the military industrial complex, you know, through Tavistock and other other um, think tanks, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. um, that determine and steering <laughs> committees. Yeah. 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 That determine, you know, um, public policy. Right. Right. Um, DARPA is one of them. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we commonly associate DARPA with um, weapons or, you know, uh, just military technology in general, but DARPA is first and foremost um, a social engineering company. Um, Can you explain so, why you say that? I, I don't necessarily disagree, but I but I don't know that that's like obvious to a lot of people. So, would you explain why you think that? All right. So let's go back to. Before before DARPA, it was ARPA, A A R P A, Advanced Research Projects Agency, and DARPA. Right. They put a D in front of it, Defense, and defense. you know I always make the joke defense. that when you put a D in front of it, they just get a carte blanche black ops budget. They can do whatever they want, and oftentimes they tell us that they're doing all sorts of research and uh, innovation in order to protect us and defend us against our quote unquote enemies. And unfortunately, we often later, in hindsight, learn that a lot of that research got weaponized against the people they were claiming to protect, which would be us typically. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're protecting us from ourselves, essentially, right? You know. <laughs> Or yeah. whatever that's worth. Um, <laughs> or or so, they're creating you know, weapons against us. I mean, in many cases, that that has actually literally been the case. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's the case in you know how. But, or I should uh, say, uh, weapons that get used against us, or somehow, yeah. uh, you know, we end up being injured as a result. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's the classic, um, the classic strategy of okay, you know. We've caused the problem. Now we're going to wait to see how you react, and then we're going to provide mm-hmm. a solution to the problem we caused initially. Right, so right. that's that's kind of how we are with with DARPA, right? Um, like I said, it was ARPA, and ARPA was created in response to Sputnik, right? Mm-hmm. So, and this was in um, in the late forties, early fifties. I can't remember the exact year, mm-hmm. um, but that was a response to you know the Soviets putting putting Sputnik up, right? So mm-hmm. in, in order to combat that and any future possible uh, strategic, uh, strategic, I'm going to lost words here, Courtney. Um, mm-hmm. in, in order for the military to, to curb that, you know, the arms of it, it to, to, deter the arms race or to be ahead of the arms race, I guess you mm-hmm. say. They created ARPA. Um, mm-hmm. So from there, it's just, just gone crazy um, mm-hmm. with, with the technology they have, you know. Um, so, and I got to thinking about that. I'm like, okay, we know that, that Sputnik was put up, but then, you know, they put the thought into the general, general public's mind that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Russians are there, the Mm-hmm. The red, the the Ruskies, or however you mm-hmm. 
whatever they label it, you know, they're going to attack us and kill us all, you know. Right. So you see in just that, just that little bit I just said, you know, um, and I, I could articulate that a little bit better, but that, that, just that thought, you know, would, would determine a lot of public policies and procedures. Now, mm -hmm. also behind the scenes, you're going to have psychiatrists, psychologists, people in the mm -hmm. medical community. And, um, to bring forth that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So here we have, um, one of the LSD, uh, CIA MK Ultra experiments where they were dosing uh, people with, with LSD. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think that was, they have so many sub projects and we're only. So for those who are uh, listening and not watching, watching the, on the screen, it says the CIA's mind control project. And this is a BBC reel, and uh, the guy's got like a little headphones on him, and, and he's lying down. Looks pretty comatose, so yeah. And uh, yeah. they were doing all sorts of uh, mind control. They were doing mind control through uh, tr through uh, sound waves, through uh, light, all sorts of uh, uh, radioactive uh, types of technology. They were doing insulin shock therapy. Uh, which, of course, you know, the a lot of that came out of uh, Tavistock, um, the shell shock therapy, when it was Tavistock Clinic and Tavistock Medical Psychology Clinic. Um, so that's why I say I feel like a lot of those experiments kind of paved the way for uh, the MK Ultra research that was done later. But yeah, you know, um, I was reading a book, it's called The Plutonium Files, and you mm -hmm. know, the first, the first plutonium plutonium injection mm -hmm. was um at oak ridge national lab mm -hmm. yeah but i was just looking at that actually yeah, yeah. a gentleman named um ed Cade, he was in a, a car accident and mm -hmm. unluckily found himself in the care of um some doctors okay. that were um i think it was the clinton foundation works i think is what it was called but it was you know slash Oak Ridge. Um, okay. So he found himself at the, at the wrong end of a very deadly syringe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. America's secret experiments in the Cold War. Um, so I guess that would be an interesting question too. Like how much of the Cold War do you think was tied into, uh, you know, like how much of the Cold War do you think was really what they told the public it was? And how much of it do you think was a front to do a lot of this underground research um, that, you know, would, became parts of things like MKUltra um, and some of these other types of research? Gosh, I don't, I don't want to put a percentage on it because I would mm -hmm. say it's yeah, sure. close to 100, right? Wow, um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, the cover-ups are massive. You know, the stuff, the, the book you just showed, the Plutonium Files. Um, that information that happened in the 40s and 50s, mm -hmm. just just for the plutonium injections, wasn't declassified until the 90s. Yeah. You know, we knew about some of the experiments during the church committee hearings in the 70s, right. which 
coincides with Maximus being founded, right? Mm-hmm. 1975, so, was it? Uh, they were yeah. founded in 75. Now, I was at, I hit a few dead stops in, in my research about Maximus, but then I started looking at the founder and his father and their mm-hmm. military service records, you know, what, mm-hmm. what little bit I could glean, you know, right. and that's what, that's what has led me to um, the Manhattan Project, Paperclip, um, MK Ultra, Tavistock, um, and all these institutions of quote unquote higher learning and all these think tanks. Um, mm-hmm. And without any doubt, um, you know, we mentioned any of those and then you have to also, of course, bring in Freemasonry and some of the mm-hmm. other secret societies, mm-hmm. um, one of which that was very prevalent in uh, Vietnam was the Jason Group. Mm-hmm. And I found some, you know, just some excerpts of... Uh, so the Jason Group were really involved in what became uh, DARPA. Uh, they were very, they were like a whole subsect of ARPA and then, you know, later DARPA. Um, Annie Jacobson uh, in her book, uh, she it's DARPA, the Pentagon's yeah. brain. She talks a lot about the Jason. Yeah. So for those who are, yeah, Pentagon's brain, Annie Jacobson, DARPA, yeah. Yeah. Um, and without, it was, so this is where I really like the research really took off is when I hit the, mm-hmm. Viet- the Vietnam era for, for right. Maximus, right? The founder, yeah. uh, in particular, his name's David Vincent Mastrum. You know, he's a second-generation mm-hmm. West Point right. uh, graduate. He, he attended Stanford Research Institute or Standard, uh, Stanford right. University. Um, right, which, and of course, Stanford Research Institute is uh, works very closely with Tavistock. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, was a, a, another extension of the CIA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right. And Siri, right? That's why it's called Siri. Siri, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I just learned that a few days ago. I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, makes sense, right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, you won't even find the Jason group in congressional records, um, really. <laughs> yeah, wow, I, um, I guess I didn't. I mean, because it was so it was covered so much in her book that I just assumed it was more public knowledge, but. Well, we have, I, I found some information from, from Biblioteca Pleiades. Okay. Um, I don't know. Have you, have you used Biblioteca before? It have is, I what? Biblioteca? Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, I, I would use Biblioteca as, as a, a reference resource for, for further deep dives, you know, but they are, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know who runs it, but it's, it's pretty stellar in the amount of, um, yeah, and Siri. Yeah. So, Siri, uh, <laughs> yeah, the the first virtual assistant arose from decades of research in artificial intelligence AI at SRI International, which is Stanford Research Institute International. Uh, so, I think that's also interesting for people to know that it is an international. It's not just you know like a localized uh, university research uh, group, but yeah. Um, and before you go on, I wanted to just, uh, maybe I'll hold this up. I don't know if people will be able to see it. Probably not. Um, nah. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a, 
so the Jason group in uh, Annie Jacobson's book, uh, just in the index, like it's, I mean, because I, I won't list all the pages, but uh, bio, bio, biological weapons is one of them. One of like, there's several pages where she talks about Jason groups and re- reference that BCI and Defender Program, Electronic uh, Fence and Formations, IDA. And then she goes through like the members of them. Then, of course, the role of North Vietnam in South and insurgency. Um, and then uh, Sanford Research Institute, uh, connection to Jason, tactical nuclear weapons in Southeast Asia, of course, Vietnam War, and then uh, air supported anti infiltration barrier. So, and it's, I mean, it's a, a big chunk of the book. So, yeah. Okay. But, so, um... <laughs> So Robert McNamara, you know, he, mm-hmm. he recruited a group of kids. He called them his mm-hmm. whiz kids. You know, right. that was a reference to his, you know, working at Ford Motor Company. Mm-hmm. He was a he was a whiz kid at Ford Motor Company, right? So the so one of the people he recruited was David David Mastern, mm-hmm. who founded Maximus. Okay, right. He was the data systems analyst. On McNamara's wall, the invisible fence. It was the, the operation was called Igloo What. Mm-hmm. That sensor technology was so good then that it's still being used now. And for all your sensor technology, that is the original program that that spawned everything that we're seeing now for sensor technology. No, it, it was that revolutionary. You know, mm-hmm. um, they call it. You know, they. I don't want to say any words that might trigger certain things so sure um those programs led to the creation okay it started with you know the the strategic amulet program um mm-hmm. which was using punch card technology from ibm which mm-hmm. we saw in world war Two. right um so we go from the street strategic Hamlet program to, to the Phoenix program. The Phoenix program is what led to the creation of Homeland Security in the mm-hmm. like and that they were involved with I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they were involved we with go. the Lido's uh, technology, right? Wasn't it the uh, the, I, I remember because I think you told told, told us last time uh, it was the patent on the airport security and it was like right after uh, the big yeah, was, nine event. Something, yeah, something like forty one or forty two days exactly like after nine eleven happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go back, like you can find a patent, like and if you read the patent, you don't have that kind of technology. Um, you don't have that those kind of sensors not mm-hmm. already in place and ready to go. You just you right. Just you know, no. <laughs> um, they were you know they were um, they were doing biometric testing or reading then they were they were recording um, they were doing retinal scans. People weren't aware of it. Wow. Um, so then, not too long afterwards, Maximus got into smart card technology. You know, providing mm-hmm. digital digital cards for um, the EPA, NASA, all these government agencies. Well, what what do you think a smart card is? Like mm-hmm. anything that you can think that they, they feel is pertinent is going to be on that card and it's going to be fed into a database. Mm-hmm. 
So what occurred to me, you know, I'm like, okay, so they have all this technology, all these databases. So then what happened in the 70s, you know, they started going away from paper, paper databases, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, go, and going to digital. Well, there again, Maximus was instrumental in that, you know, um, the private, you know, privatization, all these government assessments. And I have a, um, and I've got a lot of this stuff posted on my Twitter account and mm -hmm. my Telegram channel. Okay. Um, it's just, just, it's just so voluminous, you know, it's, it's hard for me to. Yeah. To condense it all. Disseminate it all. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but they've always been in the background. Mm hmm. They win a $1.4 million U.S. Treasury security smart card contract. Reston, uh, Virginia Business Wire. This was in November of uh, 2002. Yeah, so a year after that event. Uh, August 27, 2002, Maximus uh, New York Stock Exchange MMS has been awarded $1.4 million smart card contract by the U.S. Department of Treasury to design, develop, and implement the department's new card contract by the U.S. Development of Treasury to design, develop, and implement the department's new electronic treasury enterprise card for employees. Under this contract, approximately 9,000 employees at Treasury Department Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, Bureau of Engraving and Printing, Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, Internal Revenue Service, so the IRS, and Secret Service will be issued smart cars in the initial rollout. And of course, smart, you know, means self-monitoring, analysis, reporting, technology, right? <laughs> yeah, I've also heard that um, the, the reference being um, secret militarized armaments in residential technology also. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Say that again. That so secret militarized armaments. Armaments used in residential te yeah. technology. Or you, you could uh, you could also substitute arrays because that's what they called the sensors in Igloo White. They called them arrays. You know the, the right. arrangement of, of um, antennae and things like that on the end of the sensors that look like that blended in with the foliage. They called those arrays. You know. Um, Right. Wow. So, this is like everything. Everything goes back to, you know, the military industrial complex, mm -hmm. big pharma, um, big tech. You know, big data. Um, mm -hmm. So people are, you know, they wonder why, you know, how they're able to track us and and how to how they know all these things well you've been giving the information away they just didn't tell you and mm -hmm. they've weaponized it you know um right. but they've always done that you know they've always done that we sure didn't know um even even the technology we're using right now that to communicate with one another over the over the internet is derived right. from ARPA you know ARPANET right. was um released in 73 which mm -hmm. coincides which coincides with uh roe versus wade being adjudicated um the promise software um and the depository trust corporation like all that was in 
the seven, you know, that, that specific And what do you think uh, the connection to Maximus was with those, with those three, for instance? Okay. You won't, you won't hear this from too many people. Um, so the Depository Trust Corporation was owned or is still owned by the Jesuit order, you know, through the Federal Reserve System. Mm-hmm. Basically, the the DTC as a holding company that was founded in, I think, 90, I want to say 94, 95, mm-hmm. called the DTCC. Okay, so then they have, an, these are banking terms. Right, so they have the DTC, DTC and it's a depository trust clearing company. So it was the depository trust company and they merged with the clearing company. And they uh, they work with in partnership with Seed and company, C-E-D-E and company. Okay, so Mm -hmm. the DTCC is the holding company for Mm -hmm. the DTC. The DTC, you know, came first, of course. So then Seed... For, for lack of a better term, is the front mm-hmm. man for all these corporations. Right. Seed is the nominee for the DTCC. So GMEI utility, which is in everything, um, is a mm-hmm. product of the DTCC. Uh, but if you look up Seed & Co, um, mm-hmm. Seed & Co dwarfs Blackstone, BlackRock, or anybody oh, yeah. else. Um, well, even uh, even if you go to the Wikipedia for the Depository Trust Company, it says that it uh, manages 1.6 quadrillion. Quadrillion. I have that's not a number I've seen in reference to finance. That's that's a very large number. Um, so yeah, I don't know what yeah. Seed and Co manages, but or or, um, or what they're worth. But yeah, I want to say Seed and Co has in excess of like 55 or 56 trillion. And assets. Okay. All right. Seed and Company, also known as Seed and Co. This is right off the Wikipedia for those who are listening. The United States financial institution that processes and transfers stock certificates on behalf of the Depository Trust Company and the Central Securities Depository used by the United States National Market System, which includes the New York Stock Exchange, NASDA. Seed owns 83% of all stocks issued in the United States. The other 17% of all stocks issued is owned directly is owned by directly registered holders through the direct registration system. Um, yeah, so Seed technically owns most of the publicly issued stock in the United States. Yeah, wow. they they essentially own the the New York Stock Exchange, right? Nothing nothing that gets traded doesn't go through them. Um, Seed and Company so, is a New York City-based partnership of certain employees, Depository Trust Company. Yeah. Good. Good luck finding who those people are, too. You know. Right. Yeah. So you were saying that the Depository Trust uh, is really comprised of a Jesuit uh, ownership, or and how do we how do we know that? What, what is or where is that coming from? The first person I heard talk about it was a, a gentleman named Gene Keating. Gene is uh, a really, his brother was an attorney. He had a brother who was an attorney, then had a brother who was a judge. So Gene, for a long time, taught commercial law, um, mm-hmm. you know, held seminars and things like that. He was the first person I heard talk about that. Okay. And um, he's got a seminar. It's called the Florida seminar. Just look up Gene Keating on YouTube and you will find all kinds of information. 
okay. about the banking system that you had no idea. Um, and I'm sure you, I know you're familiar with admiralty, maritime jurisdiction. Sure. In, in, in banking, in the court system, you know. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that I learned through his his teachings and, and his, his uh, um, a lot of his documents, Courtney. Um, mm -hmm. So he was the first person I heard talk about that. And so then I went on rabbit hole, mm -hmm. rabbit hole, trying to trying to nail down these people. But he tells you in in the Florida seminar who owns what, you know, and how they own it. Mm -hmm. um, and it and escapes me. Does he pull up a, like, is there, I'm not, you know, distrusting that it said it's, that it's true. I, I just know people like to see tangible kind of quantifiable evidence. So does he draw from anything that we could look at or? Yeah. Um, he pulls. He, he, I went back and looked at like the history of, you know, the Vatican and, and mm -hmm. the Jesuit order. And he's, he, he nails everybody's name like perfectly, mm -hmm. like who's doing what and when. And the, the Florida seminar, now it's dated. It's like from, you know, sometime in the nineties. Um, and I think I've got that document posted on my Twitter or at least on my, on my telegram. I've got a lot of more, more of my deep dive. Well, what, my how do you spell his name, Gene? I'm wondering if we can maybe find it. Is it G E N E? Yeah, um, J E A N G T E or e K E A T I N G. Okay. So it's Gene, like actually how I spell my middle name, J E N. Oh, J -E -N. Yeah, yeah. What's the last name? And the last name is uh, Patrick Keating? It's, it's Keating, K E A K E A T I N G. Okay. All right, we'll we'll see if we can find that. But in the meantime, yeah, continue. <laughs> but yeah, um, now that you know, and I bring that up because it's very important to understand. You know, like finance, finance is because all this stuff, all these programs, all these think tanks, yeah. everything has to be financed, right? And they're doing yeah. It through, who's 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 funding yeah, it? The, it's expensive. Yeah. 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 So they're all doing it through the Federal Reserve System, the DTC, the DTCC, Seed & Co, um, all these banking institutions, right? Um, mm -hmm. But ultimately, it, it falls back to Rome and the Vatican. Um, and the people who control the Vatican are the Jesuits, and above them are the Black nobility, the Venetian mm -hmm. Black nobility families, um, the Borgias, the Farnese, um, the Medici. The Maximus Orsini clan. Um, um, Maximus Orsini, yeah. Uh, there's Pepe so, Orsini, right? There, yeah. Um, you know, the Breakspears, you know, there's, there's a, I wouldn't say there's a lot of black nobility families, but these are the people you will never see on TV. You never um, even hear yeah. about them. Most people don't know anything about them. What no, do you, you, you really sorry, don't. Go yeah I, don't know. So, I, I was just going to ask what do you think their connection if any uh because i typically think of it as like a consortium of you know the three city states like you've got the the vatican the city of london and then washington dc uh and i typically think of them as almost like one like a consortium kind of company uh working co-committantly what what are your thoughts on that 
and the connection there and if there is any at all and how that would be connected to Maximus? Um, the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. In a word, the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. The, the Archdiocese, the Catholic Diocese. For, for instance, in Tennessee, um, Maximus uses the Catholic Charities from, from the Catholic Church as a subcontractor for a lot of the refugee and immigration um, policies and plans. Interesting. So there's, they're, they're using, I don't want to, you know, this is a touchy subject, mm-hmm. so we'll kind of skate around it a little bit, but mm-hmm. what's happening at the border is being exacerbated by those in Italy. Mm-hmm through Catholic Charities, Arabella Advisors. What do you mean uh, by being exacerbated by what's happening in Italy? Um, Like you're saying? Yeah, Maximus Maximus is through DHS and HHS. They're creating a lot of these policies and procedures, which eventually becomes law, right? Mm -hmm. That aids the company in their bottom line, which is always profits. Mm Mm-hmm. Arabella is, you know, quote unquote, um, non nonprofit, right? But mm-hmm. both Maximus and Arabella are funding Catholic charities. That's that's their nexus, at least mm. in that in those terms. Right. So you have one company that's establishing policies, rules, procedures. Another company that's providing funding to aid people coming over. Mm -hmm. Now, Maximus has also provided technology and provided a backbone for for certain health agencies that are located in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Um, They provided the backbone for tracking systems for for certain databases. They provided Mm -hmm. the technology. They they designed that. Um, well, there again, it goes back to, you know, what, what, what was happening in the military in the, you know, in the sixties, mm-hmm. we know Vietnam was a testing ground for a lot of sensor technology, a lot of tracking programs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like taking, you know, they, they've taken, taken, taken these missiles that are, were just massive mm-hmm. in order to, to shoot somewhere to, to cause um, massive damage. And as, as the years have gone by, the technology has improved, of course, and things have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. Right. So then it goes completely digital, right? But it's, you know, you find your, your base for all this stuff back then. You know, mm-hmm. we're using phone. Basically, we're using these communication systems created by, you know, DARPA and NASA. Um, mm-hmm. If, you know, so, but Maximus has always been there, like even, mm-hmm. even back into the, um, the forties, you know, um, the founder's father, mm-hmm. um, he was a gentleman named Colonel Joseph Lee Master. Okay. He was part of the Eisenhower administration's food or radiation program. Now, if you've read anything about MK Ultra, mm-hmm. or, 
anything of that nature, you know that they had certain school, quote unquote, schools where they were giving children irradiated oatmeal. Mm-hmm. So, but where did those where did those things come from? Well, you know, what were they sign. testing with the radiated oatmeal? Do you but remember? They were giving it to children. Yeah, they were the same thing that they did basically to the gentleman in in, in Oak Ridge. You know. Mm-hmm. They weren't sure, you know, they had all this, all these new things coming out of the Manhattan Project, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they knew about radium, of course, you know, since the 18, late 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, but these new isotopes, they didn't know the effects of. So they were straight up testing them on people. Um, Children. Instance, yeah, yeah. You're going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to have certain demographics right so you're you're obvious you're you're most vulnerable are going to be children Mm -hmm. and and older people right right you know the the middle-aged people you know or i would say what 18 to 35 Mm -hmm. 20 to 40 somewhere in there something like that those age ranges you know not going to be as heavily impacted right Mm -hmm. so yeah um they started with children and then um they i mean some of this stuff was atrocious, but then um, the above ground nuclear testing, you know, ended when they accidentally triggered Castle Bravo, which spawned, you know, which created Project Gabriel and Project Sunshine, of which that was that was Rand, you know, the Rand Corporation mm-hmm. um, that conducted also those tests. works with the Tavistock, yeah, okay. yeah, and. Um, if you don't want to be traumatized, stay away from those documents because the operation or Project Sunshine stuff will will give you nightmares. And same thing. It wasn't for, very sunny. <laughs> oh, good lord! So, for um, for those listening, uh, could you give us just a brief overview of Project Sunshine? Yeah. So, Castle Bravo, which was the largest above ground nuclear test um, mm-hmm. conducted by. U.S. military, which was, quote, unquote, you know, it was supposedly an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, they miscalculated what they were using, and, and um, there was a change in the chemical structure of what they what they were using. Uh, mm-hmm. That gets really complex, and that's a little bit above my pay grade. Sure, so, sure. You know, I'll, I'll let people find, find that information, but so... The scientists were worried about the fallout from Castle Bravo and, you know, realized, okay, well, we've been doing these above ground nuclear tests for a long time and we've not Mm -hmm. really studied the effects of what's happened. So they had, yes. Okay, worldwide effects of atomic weapons. So basically. The Rand Corporation. Yeah. The Rand Corporation, just interesting uh, because I used to live in Santa Monica, pretty close to there. It's uh, 1776 Main Street. I just always thought that was really funny, the address. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, so. Anything anything other than Patriot. Patriot, Right. And it was August 1953. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so Santa Monica, Rand Corporation, Santa Monica. California in 1953 classified report R251 AEC was prepared. Okay. 
that was you know the atomic energy Com commission right mm -hmm. so basically they embarked on a worldwide body snatching program okay um, and the it to, to measure you know concentrations of uh, specifically strontium 90 was what they were looking for in the in the test test subjects some of those test subjects were still alive when they collected tissue samples uh -huh. um there was i mean there were some really atrocious things that happened during that and i, I don't want to get into you know Mm -hmm. get into that here but um some really great videos out there on it world wakes up to scientific history horrific scientific history this is june 7 2001 june 7 half a century after secret studies on the effects of radioactive fallout were carried out in the united states and britain the world is waking up to the body snatching of the 1950s called project sunshine studies conducted on dead babies sought to measure the amount of radioactive strontium-90 being absorbed by humans due to nuclear testing. Yeah. Um, one woman, um, there was one woman, I think her, um, I don't want to misspeak on this. I can't remember if her, her child was alive. I, I want to say the child was still alive, but alive or was stillbirth they took the baby's legs and mm. did not tell her um whoa yeah yeah i mean atrocities atrocities wow. um you know there were some some criticality accidents um one man i think it was in i want to say it was in either los i want to say it was in los alamos um he had a an accident where he's heavily exposed and the in and, and the description of what happened to that man was just just wow. I, yeah. you know I, I i i don't want to frighten anybody away from this research so I'll sure pull back on it a little bit but um yeah you can be as graphic or as non-graphic as you want <laughs> so. yeah um the, the man basically, I think it was called the Cecil Kelly criticality accident. Um, I think it was related to the demon core. I can't remember exactly. I, I, some of this stuff, like I just research all the time. So some of it gets a little. It starts to blur. Yeah. But um, he basically turned into a gel. Yeah. Oh. Tissue samples very crudely and like um, basically mason jars, right? Mm. Um, different parts of his body, you know, measuring measuring quantifiable amounts of, of radiation. Um, and what wow. isotope was present, you know? So that right. happened. But um, there again, you know, this this stuff is related to Maximus through through. Um, Through all the you know all these horrible experience experiments or you know Maximus and, and the and the man's father who um they've they've been right there the entire time since the forties um and I like I literally was reading like 
um, a book um, right mm-hmm. before we, you know, when we were talking earlier today. Mm-hmm. And literally, we just been in a few pages. It was like um, that the book was listing, you know, all these all these institutions that were, you know, working with Tavistock were an extension of Tavistock and mm-hmm. those, you know, those networks, right? Right. One of them was the Wharton School of Finance or business. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. where that's where Colonel Mastron, um, Joseph Lee, the man who founded Maximus, his father. That's where one of the schools he attended. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, then we have West Point. You know, like poster child for the military industrial complex. Both, sure. both, both the father and the son attended West Point. Right. Um, Siri, you know, Stanford. Um, and then when you take a snapshot of, of Maximus and you're looking at, in, in my, in my estimation, you know, and I would debate anybody with this all day. Um, mm-hmm. you're looking at an extension of, of the MK ultra program, because if you look at the, the timing as to when Maximus was founded and where the founder was at right before Maximus was founded, and it just mm-hmm. seems like a natural progression of the program, right? And um, so that was 1975. Well, what else happened in 1975? That was when Title 40, which is was child support, you know, that was when that was created. That's when Maximus started working on the databases for child support, teenage pregnancies, runaways. Interesting. Um, and, yeah, they were using, and I that was difficult to find. That was very difficult to find. I had to. I had to go into like compendiums of HHS programs and policies. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was that was hard to find. So then I got to looking a little bit further and found that the man who founded Maximus was in the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, which was who that was that was the agency that eventually became HHS. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then, in some of the MK Ultra documents that I was looking at, come to find out, HEW, which actually, in, in in part, funding the MK Ultra experiments directly. So, wow. And, and HEW, his, you said? Yeah, Health, Education, and Welfare. Welfare. That, was, that became HHS in 1979, which is what caused the Department of Education to become, you know, independent, uh, Department of Welfare, of course. Um, right. So you had one, you had one agency that split up into multiple. Right. And his role, um, and I'll read you an excerpt from, uh, this, this is from one of his classmates at, at West Point. Um, Dave Mastron achieved an impressive level of success with his new business. After resigning from the Air Force in 1972, and timelines are extremely important when we start researching, you know, series mm-hmm. and lining events, world events up, right? I, I agree. Um, you know, so he, he resigned from the Air Force in 1972 and started working for a year as a civilian and the Office of Assistant Secretary for Systems and Anal- uh, Analysis, the old WizKids group. He worked as Director of Research and Demonstrations in the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, 
from 1973 to 1975. Okay. So, with the advent of computers, and remember what he was doing in Vietnam, he was using he was using computers for for data analytics. Mm -hmm. He was he was writing programs, and he was doing the analysis on these programs that he was writing using the sensors that were created by DARPA. Mm -hmm. And and Jason, you know, they they were all they were all in Vietnam. Everybody was there. Mm -hmm. So with the advent of computers, he learned that automation could streamline administrative processing, and he created research and development plans for reforming welfare, Medicaid, and Social Security programs. Mm -hmm. um, what else here? And just just from the time Maximus was founded, um, within six years of being founded, Maximus reached 1.8 million in revenue, and by 1987, 6.9. You see how much of an increase that is? Wow. Yeah. Um, so from yeah. 1983 to 1985, that company increased almost $5 million in revenue. Wow. The most astonishing thing, and this is another rabbit hole on the part of Maximus that a lot of people aren't looking at, is the Clinton Foundation, Hillary mm -hmm. and Bill, Clinton Foundation, Haiti. Um, you could include Haiti in the conversation. So child support as a demonstration project ended in 1995. Mm -hmm. So then Bill signed the PRWORA, the Personal Work Responsibility Act, something to that effect, right? Okay. So in that in in the year before, Masterin had considered selling the company itself. He just he just he was just pretty much done with it, right? But when he but when Bill signed that Maximus went from, and this was literally in the period of the year, went from $50 million in revenue to $102 million. Wow. Um, so then we have the American Safe Families Adoptions Act. Um, basically, that was Hillary. That was another huge increase. Mm -hmm. So, and it occurred to me, I'm like, in, in one of the... Uh, one of the documents that was released in the 90s in uh, under bill um I mean, it was the uh ACHA uh, ACHRE files it was the um, column acre but those were the declassified files coming out about the human radiation experiments mm. so um i was like well how do, how, do, how do these companies procure what they would call test subjects? And I'm like, well, they're doing it through one foster care system, two mm -hmm. orphanages. Um, wars created an immense amount of orphans, right? Sure. Kids, kids that just up and disappear and never to be seen again. Mm -hmm. and, um, Unfortunately. And the yeah. So during, you know, in the acre report, um, it gives you the 
federal, like, there you go. Yeah. So this for people who are listening uh, is ACHRE report advisory committee on human radiation experiments. And it's the executive summary. Um, yeah. So it has like the publication information, the creation of advisory committee, the president's charge, the committee approach, historical context, key finding, key recommendations, and what's next, the advisory committee's legacy. So, yeah. So, I, if you if you read that, read that in conjunction with the plutonium files, but because um, the woman who wrote the plutonium files gives you a little little different perspective on on things that were, you know, I would I would say the Acre report's probably a little a little sanitized, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, sure, it's public files, yeah. And even even she like there's a there's a, a about an hour and a half video where she's being uh, she's speaking at a, a book signing event about mm-hmm. about her book. Um, and she said I went back and looked at my notes and said I was being a little little. How did she say it? Basically, she had kind of watered down some of the things that she had read and documents right. that she would received from the government about the experiments. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of digging there still left to do. But um, Sure. Yeah, Tavistock has always been there, too, you know. Um, Tavistock has <laughs> been there much longer than Maximus. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm under the impression that, that Maximus is like the end-all, be-all, right? Mm-hmm. For, for a lot of this stuff, because they're not. But what they are is, and I would say, in since the seventies, probably the most pervasive company that nobody's really paid attention to, unless you're probably in the federal sector, you know. Like, yeah, um, I mean, right on their website, right? They say that they're, you know, making things easier for people and governments. So they're they're a government contractor. Uh, but they work primarily, it seems, in the arena of technology, moving people, technology, and government forward. That's the, you know, that's their slogan. Um, so they say we provide transformative, and uh, I always that word because <laughs> transformation is very. It's it's like that alchemical, uh, you know, mystical language that they like to use. And, uh, you know, we saw a lot of that in the 60s, of course, with you know, people like Huxley, of course, people at Tavistock, all these social scientists. And, of course, you know, going even further back, we, we saw that out of a lot of the uh, philosophers um, who predate them by a long shot. But we provide transform- transformative technology services, digitally enabled customer experiences and clinical health services that change lives. Of course, it's always done under the guise of health as well, uh, because it's for the greater good. Uh, We care about your health. And of course, that's what a lot of their technology does seem to be centered around is a lot of, uh, you know, biometric, as you you pointed out, biometric data and tracking and, you know, vaccines and uh, just going a quick cursory look at their website. You see all of that. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. They're not, you know, the be all end all. I know everybody's looking for the boogeyman. They want to pin the tail on the donkey. Uh, but unfortunately, typically it's a very intricate web and that's yeah. really a more accurate way to describe how these things work. Uh, but it is very convenient when large sums of money are being funneled through entities that operate as shadow organizations. And typically these uh, government contractors are able to work 
uh, as a private kind of secret arm. Uh, I don't know that they're secret necessarily, but it's more of an open secret because so few people have even heard of them. And yet they have, you know, contracting all over the world with all sorts of governments. So it's, you know, it's not like they're just working with our government, uh, our being the United States for those who are here, but they're working with, you know, really uh, worldwide. So it's a, you know, so they're a, an infrastructure that's connecting all of these uh, various, as you mentioned, the military industrial complex, which definitely supersedes our, uh, again, you know, not to be uh, United States centric, but, you know, the United, it supersedes the United States military government because it's working or military even because it's working in conjunction. Um, and this company is working as a private arm with so many of them. So. Yeah. 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 It's it's um, it's really astounding what what kind of a reach, what kind of. Uh, I mean, they're completely transnational, you know. Um, mm -hmm. It's an American government service company. This is uh, right from the Wikipedia. Maximus Inc. is an American government service company with global operations in countries, including the United States, Australia, Canada the, and the U.K., the company contracts with government agencies to provide services to manage and administer government-sponsored programs. Maximus provides administration and other services for Medicaid, Medicare. Yeah, I was seeing for Medicare, there was something like in the billions. It was a they had gotten some sort of a funding for uh, health care reform, welfare to work, and student loan services, amongst other government programs. The company is based in Tysons, Virginia, interesting location, and has 34,300 employees, which is pretty large, and reported annual revenue of $3.46 in fiscal year 2020. Uh, and 2020 was a big year for them. They had all sorts of uh, contracts and uh, yeah, it was definitely a big year for them. Founded in 1975 by David B. Mastron, a Vietnam veteran and former employee of the U.S. Department of Health and Education and Welfare, as you mentioned. Maximus initially operated as a consulting firm for the federal government, including information technology services. So, yeah. Yeah. When you look on the right side, though, it goes through all these other, like Saudi Arabia. I mean, it really works worldwide. So, uh, you know, it has contracts all over. So you were saying that they're connected to Tavistock as well. Do you have any kind of specifics? How would you say that they're, because Tavistock is, it's gone through so many iterations, right? Like I typically outline the beginning when it was the British Propaganda Bureau, the, the Wellington House. And then of course it became uh, the Tavistock Clinic. So also no, also the Tavistock uh, Medical Psychology Clinic. Um, and the, it had so many different arms. It had the Tavistock Group, uh, which Huxley, Aldous Huxley spoke at. And that was, I think, 1961. And then, of course, uh, 1946, it became Tavistock Institute of Human Relations through a grant with the Rockefellers. Uh, it provided a big grant that there, there were other uh, funding entities, but Rockefeller gave a big grant, which enabled them to uh, transition to the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations. And they, but they have all sorts of different uh, arms and wings and yeah, yeah, names you know, specifically, Yeah, yeah, Cordy. I mean, it's just, it's amazing, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I, I don't know if you had two or three lifetimes if you could possibly nail down all the connections, right? Oh, uh, no, I'm, yeah, I, I'm tired just thinking about it, but yes, 
<laughs> I I spent uh, lots of time trying, but no, I definitely not succeeded. So yeah, I was you know just what I that little screenshot I sent you earlier was from from the book I a book I downloaded. Just what is read. the book you're reading? Um. Someone in the chat said digital transformation is their buzzword. Yes, uh, transformation is the buzzword. And of course, now we're in the digital era where they're trying to usher in the technocracy, the techno-fascist takeover that they, they, they would like to uh, bring on. So it makes sense that that would be their buzzwords. <laughs> Let me see if I can find the title of this book. I was not able to, I was in the process of printing off the entire thing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the graphic that you, while you're looking for that, she'll tell the audience, the graphic uh, you're talking about, the one that kind of had this, like, almost looks celestial and has all these different connections and to all these different NGOs and steering companies. And Yeah, that was, that was one um, That was one thing. I, you know, I've had that one for, for a while now. But sure. That's a pretty pretty accurate representation of, like, how, how voluminous, you know, Tavistock's connections are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was you know like a, I was reading this book, um, and I'll post the book for everybody, mm-hmm. um, the PDF. Um, so going back to, to to the colonel, you know, the father, mm-hmm. he was a member of you know this first uh, the first special forces brigade in our um, unit, um, known as the Devil's Brigade. Okay, Tavistock was disseminating or basically training the allies, specifically the Americans in um, psychological warfare. So mm-hmm. Without any stretch of the imagination, you know, that was included in, in their training for, for sure. uh, counterintelligence and, you know, different operations. Um, sure. I need to I need to look at that a little bit closer and confirm mm-hmm. more of that, you know, because I sure I never want to provide anybody misinformation ever. Sure. So, uh, you know, but I'm guessing, yeah, um, <laughs> I'm 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 pretty darn certain about that. Um, that type of stuff is involved in, you know, their psychological training for, for war. Um, sure. Yeah. That that part, I I think I, we're pretty sure on. Um, let me see if I can find the well in World War Two. We're talking about right. Yeah, yeah, Devil's, yeah. Devil's Brigade. Um, Tavistock psychological warfare. I'm just looking it up. Um, cola. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to find it. I can't type that quickly. Yeah, but I, I'm pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure I remember that that they. I just don't know what the name of the division was called, called. But they did several uh, kind of experiments and uh, worked definitely with psychological warfare. Um, I know that in uh, they were very involved in something called like the War Boards Commission. And that was like to create uh, like testing in order to uh, decide who would be appointed to these different committees. Um, and that was uh, 
like they they later used that testing for you know all sorts of psychological operations and selection of leaders and um let's see if I can probably find it but I don't know the devil's brigade that one didn't sound familiar to me I mean I yeah, might have known it just under another name but just not yeah that was kind of a um a nickname they picked up a moniker you know a moniker they picked up through through uh, World War II um first special forces services or something to that effect okay Forces services. Yeah, uh, I just. I had it somewhere here for me. Um, okay. Yeah. See if we can find it. Um. Yes. Yeah. There you go. You find it. Ah, oh, Devil's Brigade. Okay. I can't read what that says through something. Yeah. I can't read the red part, but. <laughs> So that's it, the Devil's Brigade. Yeah, I hadn't heard that term. Um, I definitely knew they were involved with psychological warfare operations in both World War One and World War Two. Um, but yeah, there was. See if I can oh wait, wait, oh, wait a minute, just a moment here. Okay. I completely the forgot. First Special Service Force. This is a book. It's called The Devil's Brigade. The first special service force. Uh, so, for those who are listening, uh, it's by Robert Edelman and George Walton. Yeah, so that was good. The the first. Okay, here we go. Okay, you found it. Yeah, yeah. This is okay. this is specifically. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, no. I'll just read this. Uh, So this is just about this book, which is called The Devil's Brigade. Uh, The first special service forces of World War II were known as the Devil's Brigade. Ferocious and stealthy combatants, they garnered their moniker from the captured diary of a German officer who wrote, The Black Devils are all around us every time we come in to line and we never hear them. Hand-picked U.S. and Canadian soldiers trained in mountaineering, airborne, and close combat skills. They numbered more than 2,300 and saw action in Aleutians, Italy, and south of France. Co-written by a brigade member uh, and World War II combat pilot, the book explores the unit's unique characteristics, including the men's exemplary toughness and their ability to fight in any terrain against murderous opposition. It also profiles some of the unforgettable characters that that comprise the near mythical force conceived in Great Britain. The brigade was formed to sabotage the German submarine pens and oil storage or areas along the Norway's coast. But when the campaign was canceled, the men moved on to many other missions this World War II tale of adventure, first published in hardcover in 1966 and made into a movie not long after, is now available in paperback. I, well, that was a slice of history I did not know. Um, so, yeah. Go on. Okay, so this is, please don't think terrible about me because I couldn't find much more on the man than, than some excerpts oh. from, like one of them is from, um, couple of them are from his obituary okay it's just it, the the trail literally goes cold like i can mm-hmm. like 
I don't know if I can get military, you know, FOIA military service records, but I'm sure most of them would be redacted, right? Right. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And in the, the document I printed out about the uh, Adams for Peace program, where you know he was he had spearheaded the the irradiated food, uh, the food irradiation program. Mm -hmm. This is probably it's probably two hundred pages. And there's one mention of his name in the entire document. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So, so this is from his obituary. It says uh, Colonel Joseph Lee Mastrin, Peak uh, Skill resident, Peak Skill, New York. Um, died May fifteenth. He was eighty-seven. He was born in nineteen fifteen. He obtained a competitive appointment to the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York, where, among other achievements, he conducted the West Point Symphony Orchestra. After graduating in 1940, he became a member of the 1st Special Force, the elite commando unit known as the Devil's Brigade. During the war, he landed at uh, the Anzio Beachhead, uh, marched into Rome with the 1st Americans. This is what kind of caught my attention. He briefly served as the Burgermeister of Dusseldorf, the mm -hmm. commandant of a German POW camp, and worked behind enemy lines with the French underground. Mm -hmm. He was a decorated combat soldier after the war he had obtained. He got his Masters of Business, uh, Masters of Business Administration from the Wharton School of Finance. That mm -hmm. was, that's mentioned in that book. Um, among his peacetime achievements was directing a research and development program for the Eisenhower Adams for Peace program, the, the irradiation of food to make it safe without refrigeration. Mm -hmm. um, that's, a, that's a different subject, but mm -hmm. irradiated food is not what they told us. Right. Um, um, he attended the command and general staff, staff college at the Industrial College of the Armed Forces. Um, he was stationed in Alaska and Hawaii and the D.C. area for most of his career. Um, so that was that's that's one obituary I found. And mm -hmm. the other the other ones. Um, mentioned pretty much the same thing, you know, um, some of them are a little more embellished, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like I said, in, in the Maximus research, I hadn't really. You know, I, I knew what they were doing, you know, with child support in the family court systems. Right. Privatized, privatized CPS, you know, which is, you know, um, responsible for so many atrocities in itself, you know, for, for human trafficking, right, and child trafficking. Um, but they're just. There's just so, so they're in so many areas and so pervasive in so many areas, and and um, I just think it's it's something that has escaped most of the public eye, most of the public scrutiny for a very very long time. Right. Um, and I know how ruthless they can be um, because I've dealt with them. Um, but it's but it's you know they are unique amongst like NGOs, but then again, they share a lot of similarities with other NGOs. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it's just another apparatus for the for the government not to be held accountable, right? They privatize mm. programs, relinquish authority, and say, "Here, you guys take care of it." Right. Um, and Maximus has because they it's 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 like some of these some of the apps that have end to end encryption. They're doing end to end everything, you know, like uh, essentially they're operating the IRS and the Securities and Exchange Commission. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? And he's like, well, if you had something to hide, mm -hmm. why would you not put your people in positions to hide things? Mm -hmm. um, and I've got some documents I probably shouldn't have um, to a friend about their their true financial statements that aren't reported. That Max was. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and I don't I don't say this lightly. Um, I I really shouldn't have them. Um, but their SEC SEC filings are fraudulent, um, and they're covering it up. So that's that's. What do you mean their SEC filing is fraudulent? So this, you know, the Securities and Exchange Commission, of course. Right. Yeah. You know, they're 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 saying that they're like, certain areas. You know, um, this is what they're spending. You know, expenditures. You know, they break it down. Um, but then you start going through this this database. I have essentially um, there's approximately uh, and this one. Uh, I would, I would call it a data case because it holds about 28,000 documents. Wow. Um, of their, of their filings. They, they're, well, they're not even actually filed. This is, this is something that was pulled, pulled off an internal server that was given to me. Um, oh, wow. So you do a little comparison and you start seeing just mm -hmm. how creative to get with the bookkeeping <laughs> right right so but no, when you when you say I they're mean, fraudulent like what 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 is it that you see that is not what it's supposed to be everything everything Courtney. like you know and i've got another document that kind of co coincides with that with like um it shows open and closed contracts or programs and it also lists you know some of the, some of the some of the analysis for, for, for expenditures and everything's associated with each program mm -hmm. and each person. Um, I've really got to break it down more and um, the person who gave it to me, um, going to keep that person safe, you know, and not. Sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, uh, There's no need to yeah. mention. I'm not in, in this to get anybody in trouble. That's a. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're both looking at it really closely, closely right now. And I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, a lot of falsified numbers. Oh, so, yeah. and, and what do you think the purpose of the falsified numbers is? Like, what are they trying to cover? You know, that I, that I can't, mm -hmm. I haven't been able to pinpoint why, you know, I'm like, mm -hmm. I do know that one of the listings, they're they're paying the Clinton Foundation rent, like for for a office space. Interesting. I don't, 
and it seems that that quote unquote office space is empty. Um, I've got to do a little more digging, you know. But right. Why would you be paying the Clinton Foundation? Why would you pay be paying their rent or paying rent to them for a unused office space? Doesn't make like a whole lot of sense to me. <laughs> I yeah, have no idea. A, unless it's a you know a, a business expenditure that they're going to write off, you know. Right. But I think there's more to it than that. So I'm mm-hmm. going to. Yeah, definitely. It's a lead to further investigate. Yeah, I've got that document. It's like I said, it's got almost twenty-seven thousand. Um, listings of the real numbers then i've got another document you know for the programs and i think that one's 16 16,000 17,000 wow so i'm trying like it's going to take me a long time but i'm trying to correlate you know Mm -hmm. um, sure see what what's really happening Um, that's going to be a a chore (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. So what do you, when you say like you think that there's been a continuation of uh, kind of like an MK Ultra type of project through Maximus, what do you think their focus is now? I don't know if they have an end game or if it's just to continually, mm-hmm. you know, Mm-hmm. evolve um, and trying to diversify into in, in more industries you know do you, um, so do you think that this is more of just like a financial gain or do you think that there is a bigger uh, that, yeah he was an author that was that was what came up for me when I looked up uh, David Master and he wrote a lot of books and this one was called the privateer uh, building a business for reform government reforming government reforming government think about that think about that one statement reforming yeah that sounds like yeah well that sounds actually like maximus right privateer building a business reforming government and it's interesting the picture right it looks like yeah founder of maximus inc is uh, underneath there Uh, But in front of this building is these white, these red uh, lines at the graph, but I can't read what the black writing says that the graph is, what the different steps are. Um, um, I don't know if you can, but yeah. Um, Yeah, it's kind of blurry, so it's hard to read, but yeah. It's like, you know, he's basically saying, well, here's government, but here's what we're doing. We're going to subvert it through privatization yeah that's in the what bottom, it does. in the bottom you know the bottom line is profit you know <laughs> that's to me that it sounds like he's you know and and i read uh you know quotes from him here and there and um yeah he's 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 got an ego about him to say the least uh, mm-hmm. but then then if you look at the rest of his uh like the people that Maximus has recruited, you know, um, they recently recruited somebody for, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was central intelligence. He was, he's from the CIA. Um, okay. He, he was an attorney for the Southern district of New York. Um, 
you know, but then you also see IBM, you also see Circo come up, you also see Bay Systems and some of those. I was definitely, other. I remember last time I was like, I feel like this is connected to Circo. Like that was immediately when went off. Yeah. 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 Um, and then you also see other, other MIC contractors in, in mm-hmm. their current roster, you know, um, Raytheon, Bay Systems. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, um, I'm, and I had a conversation with the, with a fellow, um, buddy, maybe a year ago on Facebook, and we were discussing Maximus and, and the databases that did create it. And he said, my, my, either his, I want to say his grandmother, um, or somebody he knew that was family helped, who, who worked for Bay was actually, mm-hmm. um, helping write the algorithms. Oh the programs you know so it's maximus and bay that had contracted with each other and bay how do you spell bay b-a-e interesting okay i don't think i know them yeah um definitely worth looking into um Mm -hmm. and by the way i was able to pull up the book and see so that graph the red lines that were going up uh, on the side it says maximus revenues that's what it says and then it just like the numbers just go higher and higher. It starts at 200 million. It goes up to 600 million. Um, so, yeah, it's all about Maximus. Yeah. All, all about the profits. Yeah. 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 You mentioned, you know, you mentioned Medicaid and Medicare. Um, people really need to pay attention to that. Um, yeah. So that contract was, and they, I think they signed it in, October or November of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Bay Systems. Okay, so they're a technology company. Digital intelligence, global combat air. Interesting. Our contribution to the UA and its regions. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety three point nine five billion awarded euro awarded. Yeah. I I'm not familiar with them either. Interesting. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody else to put on their radar. Right. But um but um to <laughs> bad jokes are <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, the um the Medicaid and Medicare contract mm-hmm. was six point six billion. Wow. Yeah, I know. It was crazy. So then they also picked up, um, and if you know any veterans who are having trouble with with the VA, Mm -hmm. Maximus bought the company that was running the assessments for the VA, Mm -hmm. uh, Veterans Enrollment System. Right. Maximus bought that. I think that was a a $1.4 billion acquisition. So all these issues that are happening with the with with the veterans hospitals mm-hmm. is coming from the administration of Maximus. Wow, we're seeing this stuff. Um, people really need to look at them. You know, if you look at them for nothing else, look at you. You know, you're a veteran or know a veteran. Mm-hmm. Look at what they're doing um, or yeah. not doing. Or not doing. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you know Medicaid and Medicare. You look how if if we just if you just take our state court and you look at Medicaid and Medicare and how many children are dependent on that, 
and then all the people that are being denied benefits or just being booted off um, mm-hmm. elderly and children it's it's mm-hmm. pretty sickening and yeah and here's the thing about that they're not using people for the assessments they're using ai bots for health assessments yes and i've got i'll send you the video but i've got the video from from uh from a meeting where they okay. specifically describe using ai bots to run or you know to basically conduct these health assessments wow um, now if you think about that okay we, yeah it's ai and, you know there should be some level of of uh control well yeah yeah there, there definitely should be but if you're controlling the paradigms are you controlling the the programming that's that's going into the ai and who's controlling it right who's programming it yeah who's telling it to do what right deny people benefits that's my thought you know i might be incorrect Mm -hmm. but i think i'm pretty pretty trying to be astute about it you know i'm like if you train it you change the the language it's going to look for certain things and boot people out sure you can do that with you know malicious intent good Oh, or, you know, self-serving kind of intention, yeah. uh, depending on whose interests it, it serves. And I guess that's, right. that's really my question with all of this, because I, well, you alluded to these potential Jesuit kind of connections, which uh, in my mind these days, that does not, uh, I do see it as that means they work with, it's more of a consortium, um, you know, and I, and it becomes like this web. So you're working with, the DC, the city of London, the Vatican, um, which of course then works with the different mil- military industrial complex infrastructure, which, uh, you know, I, I would think is probably like the five eyes apparatus. Um, and then of course that, uh, works with the different various steering committees, which could be, uh, you know, like the World Economic Forum, Trilateral Commission, CFR. Um, and then you have the, the think tanks, you know, that are doing the research that feed, it's a feedback loop, um, like Tavistock, like, uh, Stanford Research Institute, like Rand. And there, there are many of them. I mean, that's not, you know, there's just, uh, the ones we mentioned, but so I see it as really this kind of a web, but that was a very long winded way of asking if it is this kind of web, then of course you have these financial, uh, backing behind it and i just have to i'm just wondering though i know you said you don't know if they have an end game but it seems i mean yes this is obviously uh the more control the more uh you know uh, the wider their reach and the more uh fingerprints they have so to speak on everything the uh larger the revenue becomes but I, it also also so does the larger the control and power they could wield, and because of the types of things they're involved in, it, it's very hard for me to look at this as purely a financial. Not that this isn't a huge, but they spend a fortune too, right? The the money is being injected. It's not like this yeah. is all profit revenue kind of a model. It looks like they they've got many different arms, many shell companies. Um, and I'm guessing there's a lot that goes into a lot that gets, you know, output as well. It's not just a huge money maker. And the money doesn't look like it's all coming from revenue. It looks like they're getting major influx injected. They have backing. 
I could be wrong. I, I haven't done the research. No, 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 no. Um, no, and that, those are great points, Courtney, um, because, you know, and, and I say they don't have an end game, but I think what they're looking for is like complete privatization of government services. I mean, everything, right? Mm -hmm. So then where, what are we looking at? We're, we're looking at a dissolution of any kind of government where it's all administrative and they can do whatever they please right because well, there is no and what is the new world order what 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 are those goals exactly dissolution yeah. of you know and and everything becomes centralized under mm -hmm. one one world one governance power. yeah one yeah A, an internationalist world order yeah yeah and um there was um a, her name is lynn grebenstein and i found okay. her name and she works for maximus in, in the okay. united states but she's a regular attendee of the world uh, world bank which is you know the imf um mm -hmm. and i'm not sure when or how maximus became part of that but you know it's been for at least you know it's been for several years <coughs> uh, that they become yeah. part of the world bank or the imf yeah, yeah. So they part of it, or just she who is working for Maximus is a part of it, or is Maximus actually a part of the IMF? Yeah, it, it's actually a part of the IMF. And then you know, if you look at the structure of like you know Social Security, um, Medicaid, Medicare. Yeah, that uh, I saw definitely. There they have a whole. It was like a hundred and twenty-eight page uh, document yeah. on uh, Social Security. Um, so yeah. they're very involved in that. But I'm still not sure that I understand how exactly they're connected to um, the IMF. Yeah, it was 120 documents, and it was part two. It was Code of Federal Regulations, Title II, Grants and Agreements, Part 200, Uniform Administrative Requirements, Cost Principles, and Audit Requirements for Federal Awards. And this was on, uh, this was related to Social Security. I didn't go through you, it all. I just did like a quick search and uh, I found that when I was doing research for this. <laughs> so, okay. I, I think if, if, if any agency has anything to do with like social security or birth certificates, vital statistics, anything like that, they, mm -hmm. they ultimately become part of that. Okay. Let's take that. Let me break this down. Okay. The okay. office of child support enforcement, the federal office of quote unquote child support enforcement. Okay. That's the central registry for just the child support cases in the United States. Right. That's actually under the Hague. Okay. So. The Hague? I, yeah, I don't know that Hague. I know the Hague. The Hague in the Netherlands. Okay. 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 So oh, the so the Child Protective Services in the United States is under an organization yeah. in the Netherlands? Yeah, I actually like what this is probably yeah, yeah. This is like it's why it's, okay. International private law. You okay. see how like international got, private law? Wait, what? International private law. Um, I, that doesn't make any sense. I know, I know, and it's 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 really hard for me to articulate this. So, but I've got I've, I've got all the documentation, and I, and I would have to read it to you. Okay, and yeah. We would need a, a 
my Black's Law Dictionary with us to break it down. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I was reading. I was reading through a child support enforcement handbook for judges. Um. And it, it like it explicitly stated like even the forms that are used in the United States are a creation of the Hague. They're the creation of what? I'm sorry. It was it, like the forms themselves that we use here were okay. created by the Hague uh, under the Uniform Interstate Family Support Act. Yeah, it's um, child support is is, is pretty complex. Uh, but that's bizarre. Yeah. Why would something in the Netherlands have any influence on our child? Because the, uh, like the United Nations and the bar, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. When, when it was 2018 when it was finally ratified that, that um, the United States signed on for, for child support, right? So when they, you know, fully ratified everything that had been happening with child support here. So when they when they did that, uh, that that entire central central registry for child support cases became international, would mean that the countries that signed the Hague Tree Convention on Child Support could access that database from any country that was enjoined. So they could track non-custodial or custodial parents or even the children interesting i i mean that this looks just like it makes it so they can kind of coordinate trafficking i mean that's really kind of what goes through my mind i i don't know that that's true but it just you're it it occurred to me like real early looking at maxis i'm like why would you have an agency that has this kind of power, this kind of access to data, uh, you know, vital statistics and, and databases. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the more unsavory people I've, I've found and, you know, that have associated with Maximus. Um, some of the other, some of the fringe, I'll say fringe things I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. You know, it led me to the conclusion. I'm like, okay, you don't have these databases arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. Um, why would you need, you know, and, and I've read, you know, oh, it's so if um, somebody's trying to, to get out of child support, we can track them from going to another country. Homeland Security removes that ability anyway. When you get right. so far behind in child support, they take your passport and driver's license. Exactly. So you, so you can't leave the country anyway. So I'm like, okay, this sounds like it's it's blanket um, surveillance to me. That's yeah, that's what, what it sounds like. So I'm like, okay, if you have the ability to track the parents, you also have the ability to track the children. Yeah. Um. And I tell you how fast they are because it happened to me. Um, I had left one job and already had, you know, I quit one job and already had another job mm-hmm. to start, you know, within just a, just a few days. You know, I worked out a notice. Right. Um, and just because I was so busy, I neglected, you know, just to, just to call child support and say, hey, you know, um, you know, this is my new employer. This is my new 
you know, pay rate, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, I was at that job less than two days and they had already found me. Um, okay. They had already, they had already sent HR of that uh, company, you know, the, the court order stating, mm -hmm. you know, this is how much is supposed to come out of this check, you know, this, that, and the other. Less than two days, probably more like 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. So, I, so I that saw that, yeah. that we just found the thing that says that, you know, if you're traveling and uh, you owe more than $2,200, yeah, they'll, they can track you so, and you can't leave. Yeah. So if you look on Maximus's, you know, website, it also states the nation's most used employment registry. Okay. So, Say that again, that you should use what registry? It, it, no, they have, they have the nation's most used employer registry. Okay. Interesting. So. And what exactly? Well, why? <laughs> so they can find you with. You quote unquote owe, owe a child support debt or obligation. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it makes sense that they, okay, global resources, local engagement, a single purpose. 39,000 employees worldwide, nine countries Australia, Canada, Italy, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, South Korea, United Arab Emirates, United Kingdom, and the United States. And one focus it's to move people forward comprehensive capabilities to meet your every need. Uh, it's always couched in convenience. And Maximus, we're ready. All the surveillance stuff is always couched in convenience. And Maximus, we are ready for anything with more than four decades of experience managing government services. We've become the experts at combining know-how and innovation to help you achieve meaningful results. We've seen it, done it, and we know how to anticipate it. Ooh, doesn't that make me feel comfy, Cozy? The citizen journey, technology, clinical services, appeals and independent medical reviews, consulting and advisory services, and digital transformation. There it is again. And the last one is eligibility and enrollment. Yeah, so... I, I don't know. I mean, it just looks to me, this is our toolkit for transforming policy into action. We draw upon a world of experience and ideas, offering government a comprehensive toolkit for implementing policy and improving the outcome government programs achieve. Whether modernizing mature programs, testing new ideas, or implementing new policy decisions, turn to Maximus to realize your vision. It just looks like they're kind of uh, the digital arm of all of the kind of, uh, you know, UN, World Economic Forum type goals. And they make it possible because they interconnect everything through the technology that they provide and the infrastructure of that technology makes it really uh, achievable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, that's what they put on the website. The website looks great. Reads well. Oh, oh yeah. They did a great job. <laughs> you know, brings you in, welcomes you. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> then you start, then you start looking at a little closer and a little closer and like, um, 
it just so happens that, you know, they landed the FEMA contract for Hawaii for the call center. Well, you know, mm-hmm. what does the call center do? Well, it's, it's, it's there to um, route resources, Max- right? Yeah. Maximus Award FEMA Outsource Contract Center contract. Contact center co- contract. Interesting. But, um, yeah, Do it, we it know when that was, happened? That was just in... Because I'm just... In October, okay. I'm just wondering... Okay, so here it says, uh, today we announced that we've been awarded a 120-day call center... call order from the FEMA uh, through this award. Maximus will be providing contact center support for FEMA's response to catastrophic events. This latest outsourced contact center was order call order was awarded due to scale and severity of the response required for Hawaii after the wildfire that impacted the state, particularly on the island of Maui. The scope of work will also include Maximus assisting Hurricane Adalia survivors and any other natural disasters that impact this country, the country this fall. Interesting. So now they'll be able to like track and surveil um, and be able to uh, collect all of the data for FEMA, which. Okay. That is a, it's, it's a frightening prospect because, um, and I came across it on LinkedIn, but um, FEMA has mapped every structure in the United States. Now, I don't know about Hawaii or Alaska, but at least in the 48 contiguous states, they've mapped every structure in the country. Hmm. Every structure. Um, but I've, I've got a document where Maximus performed an assessment, and this was less than two years before FEMA was actually uh, created. Um, but if you read the document, you know, and, and I want everybody to understand, you know, I, I'm a bit myopic about Maximus, so I don't want mm-hmm. my my bias to let you, right. you know, I don't want you to be influenced by my about what what I have, and and I'm trying to remain objective about everything. Sure. Um, so if I read into things a bit much, um, I just want that to be you know want want to be able to explain that to everybody. Um, Fair. But if you if you read this document, I have um, it's an assessment. Um, in my in my estimation, and somebody who reads it may look at it differently, and, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I respect that. But it would seem to be that uh, they, through this assessment, that might have been the basis for FEMA itself. Um, and I'll send mm-hmm. you that document, Courtney. Uh, okay. Yeah. I know I've got it posted on on my Twitter account for okay. everyone to look at. Yeah. A lot of this. For those who want, yeah, you post so much. I can't keep up with all of it, but you post a lot of great stuff. So, yeah. We haven't even touched like their UK markets or um, their European markets or Australia. Australia is really distressing um, because they're so isolated. 
Well, so, Australia seems to be where really where they do all of the beta, beta testing to lead the way for the New World Order agenda. Um, that really, that's kind of what I've seen. I'm just going to read this and then I'll tell you some of my thoughts on Australia. Uh, to create, so this is under FEMA. It says FEMA Geo, Geospatial Resource Center. Interesting. Uh, creating the inventory. To create the building outline inventory, FEMA in conjunction with GHS Science and Technology partnered with Oak Ridge National Laboratory to extract the outlines via commercially available satellite imagery. We then work to de determine the building's usage or occupancy type, uh, residential, commercial, industrial, which is noted as an attribute for each structure. In the past, ge geographers have relied on satellite imagery as high coverage and low-cost data sorts to create building location inventories. However, identifying individual buildings is labor-intensive and has been difficult to automate due to large variations of building appearances. Our process included some new machine learning techniques and a collection method to obtain data from multiple sources, including from local governments who agreed to share it and open data from National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. They call it NGA. Interesting. And you, know, you read in the second sentence, you know, Oak Ridge National Lab. Yeah. Oak Ridge has, has the fastest exascale computer in the world, the Frontier um, exascale wow. computer. Interesting. So they're using that computer for more than just science experiments. You know, they're, they're using it for mapping, obviously. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah clearly yeah interesting yeah so you're seeing with australia but i i've seen that kind of across the board they're they're doing a lot of the beta testing on australia and i think a lot of it is because they're pretty isolated and a lot of the uh research just uh experiments get done on uh australia first so yeah um i don't know if you know gabby chung but i've interviewed with gabby before she's in australia um mm -hmm. Gabby's Gabby's a good person. I think you two mm -hmm. get along splendidly. Um, okay, I, I'm not familiar yeah. with her. Yeah, so maybe yeah. we'll we'll chat. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Courtney. Um, and she's someone to follow because you know she's she's in Australia and she's uh, incredibly aware of all these all these things happening there. And um, and we I interviewed with her once, but we you know we chat frequently, but. Um, mm -hmm. Their Freemasonry is heavily entrenched in Australia, um, and there's also the Pine Gap uh, facility in Australia. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not, um, but I was yeah. going to ask you about how you see the Masons as being connected to um, Maximus. Oh, their current CEO is a high-level Freemason, mm -hmm. Bruce Caswell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you know anything about Freemasonry, you know that's not good. <laughs> you know, um, do I think all Freemasons are bad? No, but you don't place high-level Freemasons in, in these large corporations. And there again, nothing is arbitrary or by coincidence. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely, I, I know Masons who keep telling me that, you know, they're there's nothing wrong and that there, it's a wonderful fraternity. It's just a fellowship. Um, but I, I've read quite a bit. So 
I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting to me because I, I agree. I know people and they're wonderful people. So this is not, you know, a personal attack on anybody. Um, but yeah, it, yeah. it's kind of hard to. Yeah, I think people, some people just don't. It probably is like any kind of uh, organization. You don't always know what's going on. There's compartmentalization. So. Yeah, you know, it's it's like the the lower the lower level people, you know, they're kept in the dark about things. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I would imagine even some high level people are kept in the dark. I think a lot yeah, of it, yeah. you know, there's there's so many different lodges, there's so many different, uh, you know, branches at this point, especially now. But even even throughout history, there really always have been, and there've always been uh, disputes even within uh, just the organization itself, right? Uh, so they, they they had like a whole schism, right? Especially right after uh, the French Revolution, right? When the Illuminati initially like infiltrated and used the masonry to try and uh, propagate their own uh, mission. So um, yeah, there's there's always been kind of splits between uh, all that to say that you know I, I've definitely read enough to to think that it can't all be it can't all be lies. But I also think a lot of people who are involved are really good, decent people and have no idea. So, yeah, yeah. And it's like I thought about it some time ago. I was like, you know, it's like all these all these evil people are trying to out evil each other. You know, it's like (laughs) I'm worse than you. No, I'm worse than you. It's like that's (laughs) got to be so entertaining to see them argue about who's who's the worst, you know, the, the worse or whatever who's the 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 darkest wizard of them all Um, (laughs) yeah my cauldron's blacker than yours that's funny i wanted to you had sent me something uh and i i do want to hear the rest of uh what you were going to tell me about australia but before i forget you had sent me something and it was on uh looking at what it was called um and i had actually saved it because i wanted to show the video um, it was called Quaver Ed, which is something that uh, Mastron is involved in. Is this education? Yeah. Like, it's very creepy. It's very, very creepy. Um, and to me, it goes back to, you know, being able to use social media and media in general and music to influence people, right? Mm-hmm. So we know he was in, you know, data and uh, analytics and he's been in a lot of these facets of you know social programming you know literal, literally social programming which sure. is what's so disturbing about it you know um right so he he had a planned retirement from maximus and i think 2001 or 2002 somewhere in there okay so he he, he moved um i think he's still on the board of directors so i think he moved from Virginia to Nashville and created yeah, this, this is... company. Interesting. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> it's definitely I, uh... creepy. Yeah, so this is like this just reeks of uh SEL, social emotional learning. It's got very bright colors. So for those who are listening and not watching, I do recommend you go check it out yourself. It's a Q A V E R Ed E D. And then this first uh, tweet, the pinned tweet that they have is, you don't have to be positive all the time. It's perfectly okay to feel sad, angry, annoyed, frustrated, scared, or anxious. And it's very colorful. Having feelings doesn't make you a negative person. It makes you human. Uh, And then this quote is by Lori 
Desheen, who I'm guessing is uh, involved with uh, Quaver Ed in some very large capacity. And, I mean, everything there is perfectly fine, but it's just this, uh, you know, this shift of education instead of being taught uh, foundational tools that can breed critical thinking. It's all this emotional kind of focus. And, uh, they, you know, they, they've, they've done so many studies on this. This doesn't make people happier. That does not make children more well-adjusted. It, it actually makes them more unstable and, uh, yeah, less, uh, less resilient. So, but yeah, it's, this is interesting. Yeah. He founded that, that company with a, with a guy named, um, I think his name is Graham Hepburn or something. Um, okay. So it was those two who created it, but. Well, I just wonder, you know, with the whole, because I know how much of the SEL is tied to a lot of tech ed and because, you know, they're one of their strong suits is technology. I am really wondering how much they're, uh, what kind of research they're doing, because there is a lot of data mining that they do with this uh, uh, tech ed and uh, they're doing a lot of it through the social emotional learning under that umbrella. And yeah, wow. So they're reaching yeah, I mean, 50 states, 44 countries, 21,000 schools, and 10 million school students are impacted. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, that's that that company is well poised to become another. I mean, obviously, it's transnational. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's. It, Department of Education of, you know, and I don't know if anybody knows it, but like, you know, the student loan collections, that's who mm -hmm. the contract was, or um, let me rephrase that. Um, I think it was Navient who had the contract and they abandoned the contract and Maximus picked okay. up the student loan collection. Right. So, um, but it even tells you on their website again. Um, Maximus is involved with all, you know, with the, I think over 200 higher learning institutions. Well, yeah, that, that's it's, pretty, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah so higher know, learning, like, a, so uh, what years would that be? Is that college or? Yeah, college. Yeah. Um, and, this, and that includes like Stanford and places like that, you know, MIT. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, I had a, I, I saw just a brief list and it's like, if you're a college student and you're going into to higher learning, you know, anything like in a, a technical field, like a higher mathematics or science, or, you know, mm -hmm. physics, these okay. would be like the places you would want to go, you know, mm -hmm. and Maximus is right there to support them. Right. To me, it sounds like that, you know, sounds like they're recruiting right out of college, of course, mm -hmm. um, for the best and brightest, brightest students, you know, not necessarily the most aware. Right, <laughs> you, right. You know, because, these, you know, a lot of college students still, you know, still maintain a lot of uh, naivety about things, right? So, sure. Um, well, these days they've been very indoctrinated as well. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, but there again, that education and, you know, psychology, it mm -hmm. goes back to the premise of what we were talking about, you know, um, the connections to Tavistock and, and learning mm -hmm. facilities and think tanks. So 
you know, you, you start seeing these things and they become circular. You're like, oh, well, we're right back to where they began. So, right. Um, some of these fringe areas that they're involved in surprise me, but like, um, ultimately, you're like, well, okay, yeah. So, yeah. what else? What fringe areas surprised you initially? That's a really good question, Courtney. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the psychological uh, testing and research that those areas make a lot of sense. And uh, it does make sense that, you know, uh, the continuation of any kind of psychological warfare uh, methodology. But the thing that has really advanced is the technology. And that seems to be where their strong suit is. So it's a. Uh, so it makes sense that they would be, you know, kind of combining those two uh, and that that's what they're doing. Now, this was pre-Maximus, of course, but I think the area that I found, this was really disturbing. Um, mm -hmm. So there again, the founder, right? You know, he was involved yeah. in, in the Air Force or he right. was in the Air Force and, um, you know, all, all that stuff. Sure. But through... I think it was during his graduate studies. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, he was using an area of math called Bayesian statistics. Okay. Um, it's for pr I'm not predictability. Familiar. Okay. It's, like, it's, believe me, it's, it's well above my head. But okay. basically what I've read and understand is for like predictability models, you know. You're, Got it. Okay. I mean, I'm familiar with statistics, but I don't know Beijing statistics. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, but he applied that. Okay. He, he took, he, it was pretty revolutionary. Like he made uh, missile telemetry systems more accurate. Or Interesting. Better, okay. Making, making ICBMs more accurate, more lethal. Mm. So then when he comes out of out of the Pentagon, mm -hmm. um, forms Maximus, he applied that those those same theories to child support collections. They had a contract in I think New Hampshire or Delaware, and they did not and once that contract was was up, it didn't get renewed because um he was targeting it, it like the system he designed was targeting wealthy parents like they had been through divorce yeah really yeah yeah so weird but, yeah but the equally disturbing thing was um not long afterwards he had contracts in all 50 states for child support programs right so these theories he developed in vietnam and the Air Force, and during his time in the Pentagon, he was targeting people. He had made people targets hmm. using, you know, different different paradigms, different um, systems. Like it's it's disturbing to think somebody could think like that. You know, like when you say he made uh, specific people targets, what what do you mean by that? Imagine looking at everything like a battlefield. Right. Instead of seeing tanks, you, or, you know, or instead of like looking at it, all right. So your battlefield is the child support enforcement system. Mm -hmm. 
This is another one of his books. This was the first one that I found when I looked at uh, Vietnam, 1968 yeah. turning point. Yeah. 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 Um, so instead of, you know, looking at people as people, he's looking at them like he would as if they were. Threats. Targets. Yeah. Like literal targets. Like this is, this is, this is. Okay. There are people here, people over here, you know, in all these different areas. How. Mm-hmm. What's the most effective way to get them all? You know, right. Um, oh, this is interesting. Uh, this is Maximus Inc. Uh, and, and the address is Whittier Avenue, McLean, Virginia. And I think this is the document I sent you about March 15, being, 1979. Okay, that's when that's that's when that was released, but look. Look right study there. Study of the problems associated with the reliance of civ- civilian medical manpower and non-DOD facilities during period of national emergency, mobilization, and war. Yeah, Interesting. But look, um, if you scroll back up, uh huh. Um, look right to the side of where it says what was a volume. Volume 11 or volume two, volume two. Yeah. Look look to the right of that. It says what? 77. Mm -hmm. I think this paper was written in 77, but the final release or when it was, you know, published was in 79. Interesting. Okay. I think FEMA was created in 79. Was FEMA created in 1979? Huh? I think, I think. Um, um, I've got a bunch of paperwork and like yeah documents of I've been looking at. This yeah, you're right. It was April first, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, interesting. So I'm looking at uh, you know, I'm looking at timelines and like yeah, no, that's that's smart. Uh, definitely, laundry list of possible problems and concerns raised. Uh, Carol Lively, this is July 24th, uh, 1978. AHA staff, hospital, MDs, etc. will need government immunity by tort claims for all patients. Hospitals, MDs will need a waiver of subrogation under Federal Tort Claims Act. What? The need to develop local triage, need for adequate transportation, local air terminals, the question of stockpiling field hospitals, hospitals use of the nucleus for field hospitals, seasonal fluctuations for capacity, manpower availability, Medicare reimbursement. All Joint Commission approved hospitals have disaster preparedness programs, which they test twice yearly. It may be very desirable for DOD to request copies of the local plan prior to the site visits to gain some understanding as to how community resources are involved in the event of simulated disaster and how closely these plans, including transportation of casualties from disaster sites, match what DOD might need should they involve that hospital. Simulated disaster? What does that sound like? Like what, what, you know? Just, you know, scan through those documents I've sent you. It's like you will, your jaw will drop. 
Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it. Why would you need immunity? <laughs> right. Why would you need immunity? And what on earth is simulated? Does that mean like they're going to do experiments and testing and then they might have some sort of a disaster? I don't know. False flags, that... False flags uh, it, maybe. Right. It certainly sounds that way. I don't know. But that's that's that very interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely have to take a scroll through that. Um wow. That is that's pretty crazy. And that was so that was nineteen seventy seven, but then it was released in nineteen seventy nine, which is when FEMA was created. They tried to create FEMA years before. Yeah. And they were yeah. not successful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, then miraculously somebody comes out of the military, you know, starts a company and um somehow writes these assessments for most agencies in the federal government and these agencies are spawn new agencies, right? Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um the immunity thing is really interesting. That's yeah. yeah. So they're yeah. so even though they're a private company, now they can't they don't have any kind of uh accountability. Yeah, right. So it's there again, you know. Um, how, how, you know how has Tavistock and all these other think tanks operated? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna write these papers. We're gonna we're gonna give you an assessment. Mm -hmm. um, we're gonna lay the foundation for you, but we're gonna be exempt from anything that happens from it. Right. We're we're just doing research, I and mean, that's basically what their argument is. We're just doing research, so. You know, um, and then oftentimes they don't tell you the full scope of the research they're doing. So and I think right. that's what I, I suspect is going on with all of this, because right now they're doing so much data mining and they really do seem to have this goal of putting us into, you know, a technocratic type of virtual reality. Uh, I, I've talked ad nauseum about the UN 100 um that they're they're create, trying to create like you know the centennial of uh, the UN, and uh, they're doing something in conjunction with the Boston Global Forum. They're creating an AI world society, and it's uh, the locus of it is in Ukraine, and they're trying to make Ukraine the hub that connects to all these other uh, you know like smart cities and digital cities, and you know City Forty and all these different. Uh, different centers and essentially becomes this like, I don't know how else to put it, but I think of it as like a cyber Satan, <laughs> you know, it's a, a really yeah, yeah. A, a kind of virtual uh, God that is a, that everybody's going to be trapped in this virtual reality. But I think that in order to do that, they have to do yeah, This is the UN 100 for those who are watching and it's in conjunction with Boston global forum, which uh, the, the, the one who seems to be helming this is a, uh, former governor of Massachusetts, Michael Dukakis, if uh, some people might remember him. And he's written this book, and it's uh, remaking, the, uh, remaking the World, the Age of Global Enlightenment. And that, you know, of course, just those, though it sounds so like New Age, it's very typical of the UN, that kind of language. Um, but I, I don't know, all this to say that where it seems like they're going with this is that Maximus is the 
uh, like kind of underground. I mean, obviously it's a very profitable business as well, but it also seems like it's really ripe to do a lot of this uh, data mining and then it's a feedback loop, right? They data mine and then they test, uh, you know, based on the data that they collect and then they're doing kind of like targeted uh, beta testing to see the results and the impacts of the various technology and how that can be uh, utilized on various individuals or societies, et cetera. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, that's just kind of what it looks like to me because a lot of what, you know, when, when you do this kind of, like you said, that when you start doing this kind of research, it does all kind of seem circular. Everything seems to point back to very similar themes, similar players who are involved and, uh, you know, nothing new under the sun. But the thing that I've noticed, the one thing that changes is the technology. The technology advances. Yeah. And so the modalities shift based on the technology. And, uh, of course, the, you know, the applications change based on the technology. And that seems to be where that's their wheelhouse. So, and that's the direction they want to go in, right? They, they want to go in this, uh, they want us to be in a technocracy. So. It seems like yeah, that would I mean, be. Look at look at um you know look at Nashville and you know then you look at like Chattanooga, Chattanooga mm-hmm. specifically you know. Who would have thought Chattanooga would have been like basically a a UN beta testing site, which which it is you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fifteen minute city, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but that's been in the plan since the seventies, you know. Right. Um. So, so what do you again, think you know, they have in the plans uh, for decades from now that we should be looking to stop? <laughs> you know, I think the unifying thing, Courtney, and it, this is just my opinion on it. Yeah. The unifying thing is um, health care, you know. Yeah. that. Well, if you look at, uh, what is it? Uh, I think it's uh, Agenda 2050. It's all about health care. And it's actually, I bet. Yeah, Chattanooga Smart City Plan. This is uh, the website. Um, I bet, and I have not looked at this yet, but this is just, this just occurred to me. But I bet if you look into Agenda 2050, which is all about like biometric data and like uh, healthcare, uh, I bet Maximus is involved in it because it's all like a surveillance and uh, like databases. And of course, under the guise of that, it's going to make everything so convenient and streamlined. And now like all of your health history will be, uh, you know, on record. And so it'll be really easy for you to have a whole like network in order to uh, get the care that you need and deserve. (laughs) Um, Though it sounds really nice on the website. I will say that they did a really good job. It's a great website. Um, But I'm curious. That would be something really interesting to look into to see if Maximus is involved, if they've already gotten any contracts with the Agenda 2050. Yeah, that's, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to catch up, obviously, because they're almost, you know, they've almost been in business 50 years, right? But I'm I'm trying to look ahead a little bit and see what kind of, Mm-hmm. Contracts and what areas they're 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 looking to go into, you know, but it falls mm-hmm. right in line with with the UN, the IMF, and everything else. What what they've been doing and what they are doing, and 
probably yeah. what we will be doing, you know. So this is the uh, 2050 uh, Sustainable Development Goals, of course, like that's the plans of the UN. Um, yeah, this is 2050. I did find their uh, EMS 2050 agenda, Envision the Future. This is Planning the Future, EMS uh, 2050. And, of course, it's got EMS.gov. It's uh, powered by NHTSA Office of EMS. And, uh, yeah, so this is on the United Nations. For those who are uh, listening, if you're watching, what you're seeing on the screen is from the UN. It says 2050. Of course, we know that it's the 17 Sustainable Goals, that that's their agenda, uh, that they're trying to get us towards. And, you know, a lot of it's centered around, like, the climate change agenda. Um, but the but this one, the EMS.gov, is actually very interesting. I don't know if we can pull that. Yeah, here it is. Planning for the Future, EMS Agenda 2050, and uh, Envisioning the Future, EMS Agenda 2050 describes the nation's EMS systems. The new EMS agenda for the future envisions people-centered EMS system built around principles that should guide the advancement of EMS, even as technologies and best practices evolve. Those principles were a result of a collaboration and inclusive effort to create a plan created by and for the EMS community. Um, So it's the National EMS Advisory Committee. Council, I don't really know. I, I mean, I don't know really who's be- behind this, but I, it looks like the the uh, you know yeah it says the national uh, it's N S yeah the one I had read before N H T S A, but I I don't know that's uh but it's obviously a national kind of uh, council. It's the National EMS Advisory Council, and when you look at, like, even when you scroll down, a people-centered vision for the future of emergency medical services, it looks very UN, World Economic Forum type. Um, but I really don't know who's behind it. But I'd be surprised if Maximus didn't have some involvement because, again, I can't prove that. I don't know. I, I just thought of this. So I really haven't done much digging on it. But it's, it is interesting how it's a connecting. So this is the NHTSA uh, site at Takta Airbag National. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Safe Cars Save Lives is on the website. Um, yeah, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Uh, so I guess that's what that stands for. I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at those for sure. Yeah. Like I said, I, I have no idea. That just occurred to me because I remember seeing that. But it's just the language. It very much sounds kind of typical of all of these NGO type, you know, governmental, government and NGO and UN type. Uh, they say Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response at Department of Health and Human Services, Department of Homeland Security is support. Yeah, this is who they're supported by. Uh, the Children's Program, the EMS for Children Program, the Health and Resources Services Administration. Yeah, so it does sound like they're connected to all of this. Uh, but again, I haven't done a deep dive on it, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, those are definitely something, you know, something to look at. You know, I what was it I found last night, you know, and they've been there for a long time, but it's like... Um, 
the geospatial the geospatial yeah, that agency. Was, yeah. That was weird. I, I yeah, haven't heard of that. But geospatial. So I guess is that like according to geofencing like uh, parameters? I don't know. Like what is <laughs> like evidently it's like um that was the agency like kind of the that the parallels like some of the other intel agencies in the government that was used to like um oh gosh they have capabilities that like the nsa doesn't um mm, gosh okay. Courtney, I, I don't like I, there again i don't want to misspeak but no no i get it this yes. is the national yeah, here's yeah, the website yeah. national geospatial intelligence agency we we had talked about this before but here's the website uh, NGA delivers world-class geospatial intelligence that provides a decisive advantage to policymakers, warfighters, intelligence professionals, and first responders. Um, yeah, I and that's not a term I've heard before, so it's definitely new to me, but very interesting. Products and services, uh, NGA. Uh-huh. What? That always kills me about these, you know, these these agencies. They're like products and services. It's like this is not the products and services most consumers are familiar with. Like, right? Well, it's a very specific target uh, market. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty niche. Yeah, it's definitely niche, and it's a, it's a not a uh, general public. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just I was just scrolling through there. It's kind of like peer to peer type thing. Yeah. So. But like, yeah, um, I found it. Um, I came across an NSA product catalog. I'm like, NSA product catalog. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is not like a, um, you know, a finger hut, right? Know, catalog, you know, or like, right? Oh, I need, you know, I need end to end encryption. You know, like, hey, yeah, I haven't seen one of those. I don't know what they're what they're offering. Um, it's and then I rem- yeah. Um, so you had said in the very beginning, and I'm not sure we uh, answered the question though, because you were saying there were a couple of things that uh, happened in the year 1975, and that's the same time that Maximus was launched, and one of them was Roe v. Wade, and then I don't know if I recall the other two, but I'm I don't know if we answered what the connection to those were, if there was okay, any, so or you just uh, let's say from like say 73 to like. Yeah. 77, 78, right? So we're like, mm-hmm. in, okay, the DTC, Roe versus Wade in 73, um, mm-hmm. 74, 75 tentatively because it, the, the administration's kind of overlaps, but that's when child support and foster care were uh, right. Title 4E mm-hmm. and Title 4E, respectively, were right. uh, created and basically housed under the social security administration you know that's right. that's where the, the funding comes from child support and foster care programs is out of your social security right but how would right. you so, say that that's then connected to like Ruby wade or yeah birth certificates you um you know birth certificates okay um, i see what you're saying so that you, you see why the dtc is so important the depository yeah, sure. trust corporation, right. right? Right. So there, and I'm sure some of your listeners know, but like there are trusts created when you were born. Um, 
so security administration. This is really interesting. I actually did a full episode on this, and uh, someone was telling me that they had actually pulled out, uh, like in the you know, uh, in the city of London, uh, they were able to track like how much they're worth, and it's all based on your birth certificate. And yeah, you're so you're like actually worth a specific dollar amount, and that's part of why you get the social security. Hard. This is what they were telling me. So I've not gone down this rabbit hole myself. Um, so I am just relaying it secondhand. But I've heard it from many people, and I did do an episode on it. So okay, if you look on the, if you've got a social security card, if you look on the back, the uh-huh. number that's on the back and whatever mm-hmm. red letter, that's mm-hmm. the that's where the trust. Uh, that's the that's the Federal Reserve Bank that the trust that you have in your name is. That's where it's at. That's the location mm-hmm. of the branch. Right. Um, yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, but it's there's also it's called the uh, GMEI utility. Okay. Which is a product. What that's a product of the Depository Trust Clearing Corporation. Okay. Where you can put it. Where you you can put in your uh, your QCIP number. You can locate a QCIP QCIP number. Plug that in, and it'll show you who's opened up accounts using your information they're, they're like all these places are fleecing that trust account that you have wow that's crazy so um, if you know anything about banking there's also like it's called fractional reserve banking or sure this was the episode i did it was called the road to personal sovereignty and he was talking about how to be become sovereign um to outside of that system yeah yeah, so, yeah, yeah. my friend jim price yeah Good, good. So, yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's stuff they don't teach you. Like, in, in, no, it, no, not at all. That that's fascinating. I'm still not sure how uh, where we way ties in that. That makes sense that the DTCC because uh, you know they would be uh, managing all of those uh, trusts, right? A lot they'd be tracking all of because they they profit off of each transaction essentially. So it makes sense okay. how. They would be involved, but I still don't. Roe versus Wade. What happens when a okay, like that made abortion legal, right? That didn't. It it made abortion legal. It didn't destroy Mm -hmm. the trust accounts that were created when the baby was born before it was aborted. Interesting. Is that true? So they there's still a trust set up. So, so essentially, they count it from pregnancy. Yeah, they when, think about the biometrics they create. Uh, they they record when a woman mm-hmm. becomes pregnant. Think about all that. Right. So there. Well, I just want to point out the little bit of irony here is that uh, they say that it's not life, but they've already created a trust for this life that doesn't exist, that hasn't been born. Right. So this life. Yeah, I, I'm just saying that that's a bit ironic. No, no, that's, okay. that's, that's, yeah, there's so, there's so many, like, ironies there. I'm like, you cannot make this up. Like, you cannot. Wow. Um, so they actually created, that's really interesting. I'd have to look up some, I mean, I, I don't doubt that it's true. I just don't know. So I, I yeah, would really want to some information take on that. that yeah, yeah, take that for what it's, you know. Um, yeah. 
some some of the things I say are speculation, you know. And, and sure. But uh, with with any reasonable thought about the process, it's like why wouldn't they create a trust, you know? Um, mm-hmm. For for a child, you know, um, even if the child's unborn or mm-hmm. the uh, it's it's still life, right? They, in in my estimation, maybe not theirs, but. Right. Um, well, no, clearly in theirs. That that was my point. Is that if if that's yeah, true, yeah. if that's true, then they actually do see it as a life already because they've already created a trust and account for this life. So it's it's either it's either that Courtney or you know they 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 did so to create and, and legalize and cover up the fact that they have been using. Um, aborted babies in in medical experimentation you know they made it legal it's like okay now we can now we can roll full steam with right what we've been doing for for god knows how long Um, sure and nobody's going by to die because now we've put it under the guise of of women's rights you know Mm -hmm. reproductive rights and Mm -hmm. it's 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 pretty terrible to think about that you know me um maybe another conversation for another time but i, I can't sure. think of anything reasonable like why would you right i don't know yeah i i was just wondering because it's one of the things you mentioned so um yeah, yeah so yeah, then yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and yeah we could save that for another time that's definitely um that's a full conversation. So yeah, so DTCC, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roe v. Wade, and then what was the third thing? It was in 1975. Okay, in 75, um, that's when I think it was. I think 75, 70, like 75, 76, 77. Like we were starting to see like <clears throat> the church committee stuff come out about the MK Ultra. Oh, that's right. You know? Okay, yeah. So. With all that coming out, and then all of a sudden Maximus shows up, you know, I know there was a lot of, um, like, okay, there's a lot of money misplaced, misplaced in quotes, air quotes, mm-hmm. about the MK Ultra experiments, you know, like, right. black budgets, things like that. I'm like, okay. So when Maximus was founded, Right on the heels of Title 4D and E. There again, it's like the problem reaction solution scenario. You know, it's mm-hmm. like okay, we need a way to to hide some of these expenditures. Well, we're going to call child support welfare recovery. We're going to have this company do these assessments and tell us we're right when we know we are. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. To recover, to recoup money that we've blown, you know. Um, I'm trying to articulate it all. I mean, like I see it all happening in my head, you know. But right, well, the it, it, other... just, it, it doesn't sit well with me that, like, okay, we we learned about MK, all this stuff, DTC, Roe versus Wade, child mm-hmm. support, everything is just lining up way too well, you know. Right. Um, but also, I mean, to me, and this is, real, again, just speculation, but it would also seem that 
So now they've shut down the, you know, official projects. Um, but if there is a way to scuttle the the money and then take the projects underground through a private entity that can't be, uh, I mean, they, they don't have to have transparency. They're a private organization. And so, right, so I think that, that that's kind of a possible you know, I think there's a different possible uh, possibility too, because of what what they do with like the MK programs and sub programs. Well, they just relabel them and then right, sure. You know, and you can do the same thing with a company through you know different subsidiaries, DBAs. LLCs, yeah, well, I think it's much know. easier to hide through a private company. I would imagine yeah. it would be much yeah. easier to hide. So again, so before anybody watching, you know. Uh, you know, wants to attack. This is really just speculation, but it does seem to, there are definitely a lot of data points that are worth looking at. So, you know, definitely don't take mine or, uh, you know, your word for it, right? They're just uh, things that, little arrows and uh, data points that look like they're lining up in a certain direction and it's worthy of investigation. So, yeah. You know, like, you know, look at this, look at the documents I post that, you know, just, if I have anything that's speculative, mm -hmm. do with it what you will, you know. I, yeah, of course. You know, I'm, I'm I, just, I mean, I'm. Um, yeah, no, I'm all for. I think the speculation is important because uh, research doesn't occur without a hypothesis being put forth. Uh, so, right, right. you know, you have to be able to speculate in order to do further investigation. So. Uh, I know I think that that often gets very, um, yeah, that people seem to forget about that part of the scientific method. <laughs> and uh, so, but it is really important. People need to be able to uh, test, put a hypothesis in order to be able to test it and in order to be able to do further investigation. So, yeah, so, you know, that doesn't mean you take it as face value. People need to do their own research, but I think there needs to be discovery. That needs to be done. People need to take you know, steps to start doing further investigation. So, but, well, I don't know. I mean, we, I feel like we've covered quite a bit of ground. I don't know where, if you have anything else you want to add, if there's anything else you want to look at or, yeah. Um, no, I you know, certainly I'll put it to the, I, I was just going to say also, I'll put it to the chat. I know like if it, they have any questions, I know there are a bunch of people watching. Um, I have a donor chat as well. People can uh, submit there. Um, you know, any support is really helpful, as you know well, you know, in, in this uh, research sphere. So really appreciate it. But I also just appreciate, you know, you sharing both of our work because we are really trying to just shine light. And, uh, you know, more people who take their own initiative and start investigating, I think that the closer we will be to aiming at truth. So, yeah. But, yeah, back to you. So what if you have anything you want to add or? No, just uh, just thank you again, Courtney. You know, and well, I'm thankful for everybody that's you know helped me along the way, and I try to offer the same support. You know, and um, um, some things I've how do I say this? I'm I'm really thankful for the support I've had from so many people who have who have um. 
tolerated me for you know at times because uh i can sound a bit kooky i guess but uh thank you for the people who like stand with me you know and um the support from everybody um and i think it's important to share our work courtney you know with other people like um everybody knows something that we don't right so yeah you might you might get some random tidbit of information that helps you answer some questions and um so it's it's a really great community to have um, absolutely yeah i mean uh, one you know like just one reference can spark a whole connection so absolutely yeah yeah it's yeah, great you know um some of the things I do, you know, like the way I research is, is you know, really nonlinear. Um, and I'll come up with some ideas and like, they're kind of in the ether, you know, but um, I have to um, yield to, to, to a linear way of thinking a lot mm-hmm. of times. And like, I'm glad okay. I've got people, people to help me and, you know, be like, come down, you need to look over here or, you know. Uh-huh. Some, so, you know, it helps for me to have direction and I just want to be able to return that, you know, be able to help somebody like they're researching something, um, maybe, maybe steer them in a, a better direction, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, it's, it's interesting. I talk about this a lot because a lot of people I think, think research is very linear and uh, at least for me, a lot of it is really, it starts very intuitively. I, I get kind of a gut instinct about something and I don't take that as a fact, but it kind of guides me. And then I try to look and see, is there something here worth uncovering? And then I really try and, uh, you know, look in very wide scope of directions because and different angles, because I don't want to be just, you know, like affirming confirmation bias, you know? Um, so yeah. Yeah. But but it is typically how I start. I do start with kind of like a gut instinct on something and that then I'm curious. That's what sparks the curiosity. And then I, you know, let that lead and see if there's usually you get crumbs. And oftentimes the intuition I find is there for a reason. And even if it's not 100 percent spot on, because sometimes you may you, you fill in the gaps, you know, you create a story. That's what we do. We're mythological creatures we create the story the narrative um and what i found is that the intu the the intuition the intuitive prompting is usually uh very on target there's a reason for it the story around it may not be 100 percent, you know what i thought it was that might have been my uh my way of making sense of it before i had all the information but usually the intuitive prompting is very valid so yeah yeah it's definitely a part of a major part of how I research, you know, mm-hmm. um, because not everything is point A to point B. It's like Mm-mm. point A to like wherever, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Start here, you know. So uh, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's, but yeah. it's um, it's incredibly to help helpful to have other people who, who do what we do. Totally. No, it's, yeah, absolutely. No, nobody can do it all themselves. There's way too much information. So, well, I am really grateful for 
uh, the research that you put forth. I mean, I personally had never heard of Maximus before you. Um, so I, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of people who haven't, it's obviously something that people should look at. I think it definitely, uh, there's a, probably a reason that a company this big is almost virtually unheard of. It's, you know, uh, because they, they, they probably want to be a shadow entity. And if they want to be a shadow entity, we should probably shine a big spotlight on them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think that that's great. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm super grateful that you're doing that. And uh, yeah, for all the people that are helping you and funneling the information as well, because it's it's kind of a monster. So, yeah. 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 And I wouldn't be here without, you know, friends and friends like you and other supporters, mm -hmm. you know, like, it, yeah. it, it makes a difference to me, you know, personally, you know. So, uh, sure. And the other thing I want to say is just that, you know, I know you came to this through kind of a really tragic situation. So this is very personal to you. Um, you know, there's this saying like research is me search. Uh, my mom's a psychologist and she would always say that. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, but I, you know, I really commend you and I think it's uh, inspiring and it's a great thing for other people to see is to be able to uh, take something that, you know, was so painful and to turn it into something that could be uh, a useful vehicle for, for others, you know, you're providing a, you know, body of work and research that could potentially help others. So, um, yeah, and I think that that's a very productive way to deal with, uh, you know, not so pleasant situations. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I noticed something, you know, some time ago, I'm like, and this, and I think it happened to me briefly, but I would tell anybody who's dealing with, like, you know, the family court system, CPS, mm -hmm. um, you're going through a separation or divorce and children are involved. Yeah. Um, things don't work out. Don't don't get stuck in your trauma. Don't. Right. Don't do that. You will be useless for yourself. And especially if there's a child involved, you will, you can't do anything to, to better the situation, you know. Um. And that was where I was at for for a while, you know. I was like, "Well, I'm not doing anybody any good, sitting around on my on my keister, you know." Um, mm -hmm. So that's you know, and my my impetus is my daughter, you know. Um, mm -hmm. There was no remedy for for she or I, and ultimately, it's the children that suffer in these situations. Yeah. So I don't want to see any parent, and particularly any child, suffer through these these globalist systems these systems are evil and this is um um to me that's what what this is for is like you know coercive control mm -hmm. suppressive control um, that's what it looks like yeah yeah so um reach out to anybody you know on a support system um i don't care if it's locally or on social media you know mm -hmm. um find somebody to talk to and uh, make a go of it. Don't let them, don't let the system or, you know, don't let these evil people beat you down because that's, that's, they get their kicks off that, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm nobody's, I'm nobody's lackey, you know, um, so don't, don't get stuck in your trauma. Um, that's, that's so very important. Um, 
get it out, express it, talk to people, but don't let that become your identity. Mm -hmm. I think you can um, achieve wonderful things. Thank you. Yeah. What would you say to uh, parents who are stuck in dealing with the child protective services, custody battles, uh, who may have been alienated? Is there any kind of uh, suggestions you have for them for how they can have some sort of resource, uh, recourse or uh, anything they can do to empower themselves? And Yeah. Um, in particular, like CPS, um, yeah. child support is kind of a little different thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, try to get out ahead of everything. Try to get out ahead of it as much as you can. And um, this is all contract law, you know. Mm-hmm. It's all contract law. Right. Um, you're dealing with corporations. They they, they want to pretend that they're, they're agencies of the government or, you know, a right. political subdivision. But they are not. These are all corporations. You know, they all have Dun & Bradstreet numbers or... Um, an identifying number for business. Um, so contract law is very important. Um, outside of that, read your Bible, pray, find like find like minded people who have been through the system. Um, usually, you, you can find some rem- remedies or ways to dissuade them from coming after you. Mm-hmm. Um, and avoid attorneys. I don't. I don't know. If many people have heard that, but avoid attorneys because once you hire an attorney, you become a, a, a ward of the court. Right. Um, the attorney's first oath is to the bar and the court, mm-hmm. not you. So, um, get very expensive. Yes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. believe me, I've I've. I've paid a few attorneys and uh, they didn't do a thing for me. <laughs> it made it worse, actually. Did they? Um, yeah. So, um, and if you, and if you read what an attorney does, you the the attorney is taking over your state of your person. Mm-hmm. So learn what that means: <laughs> the estate of your person. Right. Right. The state of your person. Now we're back to uh, these trusts that were created on uh, uh, pre-birth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate all of your time, all the work you're doing. Tell everybody where they can find you and, uh, yeah, all that good stuff. Um. I primarily use Twitter and Telegram. I do have Facebook and some other social medias. Okay. Um, social media sites I use. Um, but you can find the bulk of my work on, on Telegram and Twitter. Okay. Um, now, my one of my besties, Tony Triano, we have, um, I have Maximus Disclosure, and together we have Max, Maximus Disclosure 2.0. Um, She's primarily the one in charge of that channel. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony's a sweetheart and mm-hmm. from one of my best friends for a long time. Um, but you can find our, our groups on, on Telegram and uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, Great. Tony's more prevalent on Truth Social. Um, 
for mm-hmm. a long time it's just been me me tony mm-hmm. uh pamela olson um mm-hmm. you know and um just basically hannah really like we're more like family instead of friends but awesome. those are the people i go to for support you know and, mm-hmm. and um, um standby survivors with emma she's fantastic um yourself mm-hmm. courtney and then uh, thank you you know my, my circle's pretty tight <laughs> um understandably yeah <laughs> you know um believe me like through a lot of this work like a lot of the stuff i've really used to like i've, I've garnered a lot of negative attention so i've got to be careful um you know nancy schaefer and linda collins two examples of what happens when you start uncovering money trails corrupt politicians involved in the in in cbs and the family court systems you know um and even more so you know like when you start exposing intel agencies and big pharma you know i work for big pharma i work for dupont right um there's a lot of stuff i'm pretty reluctant to to release you know um not that i'm scared but um me personally not for myself but for you know family and friends sure so uh yeah just um anybody has any questions you know can either hit you up or you know find us and yeah i don't know maybe maybe we can all learn together you know absolutely well i learned a ton so and i feel like now i yeah i i had no idea what i didn't know so I have a lot more, (laughs) more rabbit trails to go down. So so thanks for that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, well, it's a pleasure. I'm sure, sure we will uh, reconvene again. So yeah, but until then, well, have a great night. Stay on for just a bit. I I should have told you beforehand, but just so we'll be able to upload all of this. So I'm going to play the closing, you know, close out. Um, and it looks like I don't think we have any questions from the audience, but I hope you enjoy. Definitely follow both of us and reach out with anything. And uh, I'll see you in a minute after we close out. So thank you so much for watching and listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.